stupid? Are you ready? Okay, Smokey. Roll him. <laughs> That's silly. Shoot him now! Shoot him now! Everybody and welcome to the That's Not Quite All Folks Christmas Special. I'm your jolly host, Mark Hallam, joined by... And, uh, I'm your little bit more even keel host, uh, Jordan Schmidt. Um, we we want to wish a uh, merry, merry prostitutes to everyone who listens. Um, and we want to just make sure that everyone's enjoying their holiday season. By recording a Christmas special, most of which is being recorded during Hanukkah, and a bit of which is recorded during Halloween. So, well, you see, if we tried to do everything we're going to be doing during this episode during one recording session, it would take up too much goddamn time. It would take two months, and that's what we put into this one. Exactly. So, for our last episode of this fourth year of like, third year. Third year. Well, no, no. By this metric, we did. We recorded in 2020. We recorded in 2021. We recorded in 2022. This is our fourth year of doing it. Oh shit! Yeah, it is. God damn. So for our fourth year and third full year of recording this, we wanted to end with this big, supersized, mega, colossal holiday special. And so we decided to get three different Christmas specials from the many hallowed years of Looney Tunes content. We decided to th- call in some special guests to help us out with some of them. Yeah, no, you're, you're going to see multi-eras of, multi-eras of Christmas nostalgia and uh, multi-eras of Christmas disdain. So the Christmas specials that we are looking at today are... It's a wonderful Tiny Toons Christmas special, a Pinky and the Brain Christmas, ending with a Christmas Carol from the Looney Tunes show. Yes. Again, eclectic mix. And there are some of these that we have good things to say about. There are some that we may not have grown up with as much. Um, But we're going to try and at least measure all of these as, you know, definite Christmas efforts. Because all three of these are very much Christmas specials. They're trying to be Christmas specials. One of which was even commissioned as a Christmas special after a lot of the, the show in question had already wrapped production. We'll get into that in like a minute. But yeah, no, this is these are some Christmas specials that I think that a lot of you of our listeners probably have nostalgia for, with one exception. And, um, and we're going to dig into them while also doing some festive things being festive. Jordan's wearing a Santa Claus hat right now. Yes, I, I am. I am not joking. <laughs> yes. Because what's more festive than a non-practicing half-Jew wearing a Santa Claus hat? Especially that's the not... Santa Claus hat that's been sitting in the in the attic for the last 11 months. <laughs> <laughs> that's the holiday spirit, man. We have a fake tree. That's how holiday spirited we are. We're not going to wound some fur sitting in the forest. No. We have a fake tree with, and this is actually new this year, 
our our new fake tree has remote controlled lights uh, settings, so I can flip a button and I can, and it can go from white lights to colored lights, uh, much like Alabama did in the sixties. Jordan, the the tree you guys bought would be the tree that would be in a in in a in a Christmas special. To demonstrate how Christmas has become more mechanical and consumerable. It's a fake tree with a remote control that can change the light. Oh, where has the spirit gone? It's like, it's easy. I think there's tons of spirit, actually. But, you know. I mean, the, the spirit of the holidays is going into the room when no one's in there and changing the colors from white to colored. And then somebody else walking into the room going, hey, when did this change? <laughs> it's the Christmas ghost. Yeah. So, uh, right before we go into it, um, we have covered uh, previous uh, Looney Christmas efforts before on the show. We've covered Baham Duck, a Looney Tunes Christmas, which we weren't too uh, hot on. Our main issue with that one is that it took um like halfway of the special to get to the Christmas Carol stuff, and even then, yeah. it, even then, there's only one moment that was actually Looney. And Rasmus was just kind of a generic sort of Christmas. Uh, it was the one where it was really clinging to the Christmas Carol Beach. We made fun of just how, like, oh, no, it's the third ghost. And it's the oh, worst dear. one of all. Like, like yeah. subvert. You're the Looney Tunes. Fucking subvert. Yeah. Which is funny because one of ours. It didn't really. Yeah. But, um. Yeah. And we've also covered um, the one from the 70s, the one that uh, the Joseph Freeling Division did way back in season one. The one that was so wholesome that Mel Gibson's character in Lethal Weapon almost killed himself to it. Yes. Hey, you got it right the first time. Yay. Who did I say the last time? Mel Blank. Mel Blank, yeah. laughing. Because that's still a funny image. I forgot to specify which that's mill it was. A funny image. Like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> just, just hold uh, on, hold on. Just, just like, three just, more cigars. No, 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 just like, like, Frizz is in the recording booth going, Mel, what the hell are you doing? Like, listen, th- th- this, I can't. This is too shit. Like, it's a Christmas special. Uh, Mel wasn't trying to kill children. Mel was trying to kill himself. <laughs> uh, We're already at a 10, folks, and the right. fun has yet to begin. Let's see. We did that one. We did that one. Oh, also, we covered um, the Looney Tunes cartoon one last uh, year, I believe. The, um, the uh, Looney... Oh, that was two that... years ago. Oh, was my God. Uh, yeah, the Looney Tunes... Yeah. Uh, cartoons holiday special which we actually we love that one really enjoyed that was actually a really good one yeah but now we've come to the first of our uh, holiday specials here which we are covering which yes. is the tiny tunes christmas special yes and we've covered a lot of tiny tunes this year we did yeah. an episode of we did some episodes from the show we did the movie they did for direct-to-video we did some episodes of Luniversity. We we did a lot of Tiny Tunes this year, and and it's great yeah. for me because I, as we as I've, I've said many times this year, I didn't really grow up watching the show, so this gave me more of a sense of what the show was and whether or not I like it. And for the most part, I do, but there are some tendencies that I wish were different, and there are some characters I cannot stand, 
one of, <laughs> one of which is all over this one. But I'm glad that we at least have this Christmas special to do because uh, there are some good things in it. All right. So when did this special come out, Jordan? And what did you find on this day that wasn't just the worst? <laughs> yeah, we, Mark found it really depressing on this day. Uh, yeah. This came out on December 6, 1992. I have a sports on this day. This is a name that breached popular culture that I don't know if you know of. Like you may, This may ring a bell with you. So if I said the name Johnny Manziel... A jingle bell? Oh, it will, it'll ring a jingle bell with you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. If I said the name Johnny Manziel, or Johnny Manziel, I think it's one of those. Oh, would, that... Would that... Yeah, yeah. Johnny Manziel uh, was this big college football athlete quarterback. Uh, he was bigger than big. We found out now that he's falsified some things and... Uh, did some fraudulent things, uh, but was a big draft pick for the Cleveland Browns and then was absolutely terrible in the NFL and only <laughs> and only really played six or so games and made his money from Snickers ads and, and doing things as a personality rather than an actual sports player. Because he was huge in the early 2010s. They called him Johnny Football. He was this big, larger-than-life guy, and the documentary came out this year about how he... Fucked a lot of people over. Hmm. Yeah, but he was born on this day in 1992, December 6th. So, it's pretty cool. In theaters that day, stuff like Home Alone 2, The Bodyguard, Aladdin, and The Distinguished Gentleman with Eddie Murphy, they were all in theaters. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. That's a pretty good Christmas right there. I, yeah. If I was alive during that time, I probably would have seen Aladdin. I would honestly go see Home Alone 2, uh, because That's good. that movie... It was on the other day. Yeah, like right, right at the beginning, and like, did I do with anything? But like, you know this, you know, like the the the, the um the darling love sequence where Kevin's going yes. around New York, and it's two thousand twenty three. You don't want to throw off people, but they cut the sequence when Kevin's on top of the World Trade Center. Oh, I thought they were. Like, I thought you were going to say they cut the sequence where he's in the hotel and Donald oh, Trump yeah, tells yeah, him where to yeah. go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I didn't get that far in the movie to know if they cut that out. But like, I'm watching it. It's like you know, like you know, nobody ought to be. A, everybody wants it's like whoa, hard. Yeah, you cut all something's missing there. You like, cut a lyric. Some, you, yeah. I was like, oh, like, I should have paid attention the last time I watched on Disney Plus because they must have cut it for the Disney Plus. Version. Oh no, I think on Disney Plus that it's kept in. Uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll I'll watch it. Uh, why not? It, it's a season. I'll, I'll watch Home Alone 2 again. It's a good movie. Which, I love uh, that one. Yeah, it, it's better than the first, in my opinion. But um, so uh, this uh, special was directed by John McLernan, written by Sherry Stoner and Dina Oliver, who are the exact writing pair behind Disney's 1999 film My Favorite Martian. Which uh, eventually we're going to do a Patreon commentary on. <laughs> eventually we should. It seems inevitable. I, You know, what's very funny about My Favorite Martian is that the more people I talk to about it, the more I find out how many people share my nostalgia for that movie. Hmm. Because 
In the last year or so, I found out that two very good friends of mine also watched that movie a lot as a kid, including like a very good friend of mine and then someone, a colleague I've made uh, via some some of the podcasting people I know. So like people tend to really like my favorite Martian, which, you know, great. <laughs> but yeah, Sherry and Deanna, they, they did my favorite Martian. I think they also did some, I mean, Sherry definitely did some Animaniacs episode. I forget if Deanna did some with her. So... This Christmas special was the last 30-minute Tiny Toons Adventure episode produced, as well as the last episode to air on Fox Kids. Um, though there was one episode called Tunes from the Crypt. I, gee, I wonder why they, they did it that way. Um, Chicky. Which, which, it, which never aired on Fox, would eventually air... Funny enough, our Nickelodeon from fall 1995 up to uh, 2000. And also there were two specials produced after this, the uh, Tiny Toons Spring Break and Tiny Toons Night Goolery. Yeah, so th- those count yeah, after. Yeah. T- Tiny Toons running out the clock was basically what they were. Pretty much, um, yeah. This is the very end of production. Animaniacs is already in full swing. John Kassir is voicing... Uh, Buster in this one because Charlie Adler has already had his shit fit and left. Um, <laughs> this is the very end of production. And in some cases, it shows. Not many, but in some. I feel like at this point that Sherry was just writing this as she's packing up her things into a box and going down the hall to Animaniacs so they could do more biting, more biting celebrity, celebrity stuff. Because... Something to point out about the special is because it's a Christmas special, they throw in, oh, we, we're going to have celebrity guests in it. Yes. And you can tell it's just the Tiny Toon writers going, we're setting up for Animaniacs. Here's the work you can expect on next year where we do Animaniacs. It's a lot of their usual targets, you know, and we'll, we'll get to those when we cover that in this, but, um, you know, it, it's... It's some of the voices and impressions you would expect from Animaniacs. And they work here, thank God. But, um, yes, this is very much like a, is Tiny Toons even Tiny Toons anymore? Is The show is basically over. We're just keeping the lights on. And it's an interesting episode. Uh, the show begins with a Christmasified intro of the Tiny yes. Toon Adventures theme. Which I find kind of funny because... Now it's Sean Gensier voicing Buster. So it's this weird, like, they all had to come in and re-record it. It's how they could, like, have half-assed. It's it's a completely new vocal take of the Titan yeah. Adventures theme as you're at the end. That's insane. <laughs> like, yeah. we're done. We, why do we have to sing a new version of the theme? We want to go home. <laughs> well, even then, like, you can hear Tress more prominently than you can hear John. It's very much Babs taking the lead on this song, and you can barely hear Buster. We're tiny, we're toony, we're all a little loony, and very, very soony. Christmas will be here, we're comic dispensers, we crack up all the sensors. It's tiny, food, adventures, with some special, you've got your tone ears at me, acres, it's a wonderland of snow. Sleigh bells ring, Maybe they're downplaying it because they know that kids might know the difference between John Cassier and Charlie Adler. And watching this one, you can definitely tell the difference. 
but yeah, no, there, there's some cool lines. Uh, there's some cool meta lines in this, in this opening, you know, our, our writers are gifted. The story has been lifted, <laughs> you know, yeah, unlike a lot of people these days, they actually tell you up front when something's stolen. So that, that's a good thing. As from the jump, the very, from the title card, it's a wonderful life. That's right, folks. Recovery another It's a Wonderful Life send-up. No, 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 listen here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's literally the opening shots of this, like, are shot for shot the beginning of It's a Wonderful Life. The opening narration from everyone praying for uh, for Buster is right from the beginning of It's a Wonderful Life. And I like how they, they, they subvert this a little. First of all, there's a menorah in Hampton's window, which means Hampton J. Pig is technically Jewish. Uh, think about the ramifications of that on your own time. Um, I wonder if he's, I wonder, that, does that mean Alf is Jewish as well, seeing as Alf is a fem- member of the pig family uh, in, in Bahamduk? That's right. That's right. But yeah, the contrast of everyone wishing for Buster to be okay, and then you cut to Plucky, and he's going, so listen, about Buster. Hey, hey do you mind? This is private. Because <laughs> he's like, you know, he... he you find out that he clearly wants Buster to survive as well, even though they are enemies. But he he has, like, you know, you know, I want Buster to survive. Otherwise, Tiny Toons will be canceled and I'll have to work on some chipmunk show. Which, <laughs> there's there's two pieces of this. One, are they shading Alvin or Chip and Dale here? And two, uh, there's the possibility of Tiny Toons being canceled. It's almost like they knew. I'll listen I'll be so surprised if we're like, oh, they knew, they knew. And then let's do a Sherry Stoner interview tomorrow. And she's like, no, actually, we didn't didn't know know. it was going to get canceled. It's like, are you kidding me? Come on. Yeah, we didn't know anything. She she doesn't sound like Slappy Squirrel in real life. I'm just assuming she does for the purpose of that interview. Yeah, it's like, oh, Yeah, we were all gobsmacked by it. Me, the other writers, the other tunes. I mean, wait, no, I'm, I'm Sherry in this one. (laughs) <laughs> we then we pan back up into the heavens as you know it's god calling a little star over who's it was who's clarence except clarence is the jimmy stewart impression and he's voiced by the most busiest voice actor of the 1990s dan fucking castellanetta <laughs> Now, there's some pieces of this that I like. First of all, great that Dan's here. They probably yeah, just oh, did yeah. a, a call around like, hey, who can do a Jimmy Stewart? And Dan's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they threw him in. But there's some pieces of this opening framing with, because uh, as they do in the in the movie where they cut to the heavens and they're just the little shapes of the of the, the, the angels or whatever. Now, first of all, the name of the angel that Jimmy Stewart, to take someone as doing as Jimmy Stewart plays is Harvey. Who is a rabbit, oh. which is a reference to the Jimmy Stewart film, where Jimmy Stewart uh, has an invisible Cheeky rabbit bastards. friend. But, and I don't know if you noticed this, and I thought this was so funny after the year that we've had. God sound like an impression of anybody in particular to you? Um, it didn't come. It, it not n- no. Why? Who do you think he sounded like? And this is the kind of thing that if you guys want to take this out of context. But to me, God sounded an awful lot like Peter Falk. Harvey, you're going to have to go down to Acme Acres. Buster Bunny's thinking of quitting Tiny Toons. But why is he going to do that? Poor kid. He thinks he's a failure. There it is. Buster Bunny. Hi, nice neck. Go back, listen to it again, 
there is a Falk-esque tonation in God's voice. It's it's like, hey, uh, Harvey, what are you thinking? You're going to go down there. Right, okay. He doesn't do as much dawdling as Falk did, but it, it sounds like Peter Falk. And it's very funny that a year that is so denoted by Peter Falk ends with Peter Falk for us. I can hear it. I, I, I can hear it a bit. It's very possible. As we know from watching Tiny Tunes this year, the writers sure love their Columbo. Love Columbo. So I would so like it that when I die, when I when I get to heaven, and I, I'm I'm received by by the Lord, and I hear the voice of the Lord, which is, you know, uh, one other thing. Uh, do you or anyone you know? Uh, <laughs> I'm like Peter. Hey, what? Hey, what? What other thing? Um. That Columbo episode you and your friend did. Loved it. Loved it. That was so it was so good. Oh, I'm sorry. Favorite episode. <laughs> that's the thing. We can now put on our poster. Uh, that's not quite all, folks. A hit with God. <laughs> I give it two Christs up. Yay! Okay. <laughs> Merry so, Christmas. Um yeah, so. Um, we get introduced to Buster and Babs as they, they sing this song about Christmas, essentially. Like, oh, they're so happy that it's Christmas. They run into a rip-off, into a rip-off version of the Grinch, who was just different yes. color and everything. Also voiced by Dan Castellaneta. Uh, yeah, of course. Also, I just realized this now. I really like that type of joke now where it's like they do like illegally it's not the thing that's clearly the thing. I love that. If anyone would inv- would if anyone would encourage stealing, it's the Grinch. Exactly. And also I mean, come on. And also like also the Chuck Jones connection, so that's also a nice yeah, sort of cheeky. I did it. Uh, I'm cool with it. Yeah. But would he be cool if he if he was in a Walmart ad? Yeah, that literally today that people are doing a shit story yeah. about that. Um, yeah, it's really well done. I saw it; it's really good. It is, yeah, it's a really good animation actually. But I also love because they have the the knockoff Grinch, and then they have uh, they they run over the year without a Santa Claus snowman, I think, or, or yeah, somebody from Rankin I, Bass, I, and he yeah, does yeah, this yeah, little yeah, watch where you're going. Ooh. <laughs> It's Yosemite Sam the Snowman. Ooh. Yeah. Also, the sled they've been riding on the whole sequence is called Rosebud. Yeah, these are the same writers who do Animaniacs, all right. <laughs> sure. Citizen Kane. <laughs> so, and this leads me to one of the big things swirling around this episode, which is... um. John Kassir is a great voice actor and all, um, but you see, because most of the run had been done by Charlie Adler, there is a palpable difference. It's not like what Eric Bowes is doing now on Luniversity, where he knows he just doesn't have he doesn't just have to do Adler's Buster. Thirty years have passed; he can do his own take. This is supposed to be the same Butler, and it just sounds off because Kassir has a different voice. I mean, he, he tried his best to, to pick up exactly where Adler left off, but they're two different voice actors with two different schools of training. Kassir had been doing The Crypt Keeper and Adler had been doing animated series and things. And so, and they're 
Kassir's voice sounds different, and it, it it's off, especially given that Tresh still sounds the same as Babs. So there's there's that that's like, even kids watching this are going to go, Hi, you holiday toasters. I'm Buster Bunny. And I'm Babs Bunny. No relation. Welcome to our Tiny Toons primetime holiday spectacular with celebrity guest stars galore. Have we, as kids who grew up in the late night, early 2000s, have we gone through something like that with our voice actors? I'll tell you that we have because there was the period in Fairly Odd Parents where Chester was voiced oh, by right. Frankie yeah. Muniz, and then yeah. he was voiced by uh, Jason Marsden. That's right, yeah. And it was very easy to find the episodes that were Frankie Muniz and the, easy, and the ones that were Marsden, because... Marsden is an actual voice actor. Ooh. And Muniz was just doing this for name recognition. Um, yeah. But it's okay. He probably doesn't remember it. Um, but yeah, we've gone through this once or twice. There are times where we've had parts handed off to other voice actors and we've had to pretend and that we've had to pretend and that it's the same and then go, hey, wait a minute. What's really going on here? Um, trying to think of other examples. Um, I mean, there's Matt Vogel as, uh, as his Kermit. Well, yeah, I mean, the Kermit thing. Yeah. And most of the Muppets. There is... And also Steve Whitmire taking over for Jim Henson. I would also say the Scooby-Doo voice actors, where it was clear that, all right, they're moving on from Casey Kasem. Or, okay, they're moving on from... Uh, what's her name? Uh, the the lady that did, I think... Vilma? Either Vilma or Daphne. And... I mean, asked. they've both been replaced. They, they've both been replaced. Yeah, exactly. So, like, so, but, but it's the kind of thing, like, when it wasn't Casey, you could tell. Bottom line, we have been through this sort of thing before. And as kids, it was it was easy for us to go, okay, well, that's clearly, you know, somebody different. Or, you know, okay, that's, that's somebody else. But here, I think that because their hands were tied at the very end of the run, they needed to get more specials out. They did what they could. And... They just had to know that it wasn't going to be Charlie and be okay with it. And to that, I mean, John Kassir in this one especially, he gives his all. He's not mailing it in. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's it. He doesn't sound like Charlie Adler. Did. That's fine. You know, I mean, it, it's not like the whole specials about Buster Bunny leaving Tiny Toons Adventures. Oh wait. Oh, Hodar. Wait. Metafiction there, eh? Are, is it? <laughs> But is it, though? That's my question. Because on one hand, you can go, no, this is just the plot of this wonderful life. He doesn't wish to be alive anymore. Hence, he, it's, Jimmy Stewart doesn't want to be on the Earth anymore. Same thing, except it's, it's a show. But here's the thing, though. The difference, I think, between coincidence versus, yes, it is what you think it is, is... Buster doesn't say, I wish I was never an Acme Acres. He says, right. if I wasn't on Tiny Toon Adventures, the cartoon show that you're watching. That's the difference. So, yeah. That's a little suspect. Considering that you have a writer here who is clearly not known for putting meta things in her scripts. No, no, no. You can't not. help but wonder... <laughs> <laughs> are they playing with the whole Charlie Adler not wanting to do any more thing? It's, I, I do agree with you for the most part. I think that there is a chance that they were actually playing with real life events because a lot of shows with similar stuff 
did like I think about the South Park where yeah. Isaac Hayes decided not to do Chef anymore, and they responded by murdering him in the most senseless way possible. Uh, the character, not Isaac Hayes. Although, when, when come to think about it, getting an ailment and not getting to see any doctors because of Scientology is also pretty senseless now that you think about it. But yeah, no, I, there have been other shows that do things like this. And I think that here, there's still ambiguity, but there is still the chance of, yeah, they could be shading this. Yeah, they could be trying to figure that out. You know? Yeah. Which, I mean, the only people who would know at this time are the crew of Tiny Tune Adventures and, like, Die Hard animation fans in the early nineties. Yeah. Like it's not like kids were ever going to understand it. So it's very much uh, yeah. yeah. They could very much claim ambiguity in this, but which is fine. But yeah, so Buster is doing this big Chris special. Um, there's a mess up during the song, and we pan back to reveal that they're actually it's what they're filming a Christmas special. But it's on a theatrical stage. Yeah, go with it. Not the not the only one. Oh, not the only special we're covering today that has that kind of conceit to it. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Although this one's a little bit more meta about it. Yeah. The whole thing is that like they are doing their Christmas show and they're doing it on stage and like like we're, we're they're filming it there and they have two of the executives from the network coming over to basically. Make sure that they're all right with what they're doing to make sure they continue to do the show, which means there's stakes, which means Montana Max has to be in this. And I still fucking hate Montana Max. <laughs> there is nothing to this character. He has money. He continues to have money. There's nothing funny about that. What can you do? The only thing that they can do in this one, and they've learned, I think, by this point, how to make him funny, is to make him a foil for Elmira. Because Elmira's funny. <laughs> She's very funny, in fact. Yeah. And... Sicking her on Max and, and making and, and get, making him uncomfortable and having her go after her is very funny. But the shot where Max lifts Elmira up by her dress and you can see her underwear does not really put me on his good side or even the show's good side much at all. No, but um, I do like how, because it's a wonderful life. Okay, well, obviously it has to be Lionel Barrymore. Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter. <laughs> The kinky little bastard. Yeah. Well, so does the underwear thing go into the air? No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's a Lionel Barrymore was at least le less creepy about it. So Max uh, broke his foot because he was, he was with Morgan Fairchild. Like something was going on, Morgan Fairchild. <laughs> okay, John Lovitz. And um, yeah, so he broke his foot. Hence why he's in the wheelchair, and hence the Mr. Potter connection. Mm. Um, so he he finds out that because of his injury, that Montana Max has been written out of the Christmas special. And, of course, he's angry about this. He's like, what are you talking about? And who are these posers, the, the, the executives? And, of course, much like, well, they're the executives to make sure to give us the money to do the special. And me and my and then then gives them a ton of money as an apology. Yeah, of course. Some of the best parts of this first bit of it, where it's just going about the show and things going wrong and Max sabotaging, is just a lot of Buster's facial expressions. Because he has this sort of shrug where Max, when Max bribes the executives, and has this stone-faced sigh when Plucky does his showboating. Like, 
And there's a running gag where it's like, okay, we've changed the script, Plucky. It turns out you actually are that you're are this Urkel character. And there's one bit where Joe Alasky very funnily just goes, Shoot me. It's funny because like, there, there's two characters I hate during this show. And it's very rare that both of them infuriate me at the same time. Usually it's one and not the other. And the other one works or the other one isn't there. And that is the case on this one because Gogo, the Dodo, which is another character I despise, He's in this, but he's mostly setting up actually cool jokes. Like, there's a running gag where he does, like, canned applause or canned laughter or canned booze and, and when they're coming from an actual can. And I like that. But Plucky asks for the... Because they're, they're different colored script pages that keep giving Plucky. And Plucky asks for the new yellow pages and Gogo hands him the phone book. <laughs> That's a good gag. I also like how there's... there's one Because all these guest stars... So Plucky yeah. at one point... Walks by Luke Perry. Yeah. Just, oh, man. I'm not sure I look as much like James Dean. Grease my hair more. And I love Plucky's line of, Mr. I star in a show about zip codes. I love uh, that line. That's yeah. a great line. Uh, there's a gag here that doesn't really work for me until the very end where it's Sneezer, which I, I forgot this show did a version of Sniffles, which is just Sneezer, which is just a very cute mouse doing a bit with Bob Hope. <laughs> Again, setting the dominoes up for Animaniacs. And there's a whole thing where Max tries to sabotage things by making Sneezer um, sneeze. How is that a sabotage again? But the punchline after the explosive sneeze that ruins everything where Sneezer gets up and goes, God bless me, everyone. <laughs> that works. It's cute. It is. I'll forgive it. Yeah. By the way, something I want to point out in terms of casting around here. Because there's the two executives that are um, judging the whole thing and whether or not to give money to it. One of them is Joe Alasky doing a voice. The other one is played by Valerie Bromfield. Does that name ring a bell to you, Mark? No, it doesn't. So remember earlier this year how I had my monologue about how the, the SNL connection to Gail Mathias and how right, weird yeah. it is that somebody who struck out that badly on SNL managed to find a second life doing uh, voices here? Yeah, the... Uh... Valley Girl. Yeah, she plays uh, Shirley Lune, yeah. Um, Valerie Bromfeld. who this person is? Yeah. Was Valerie the one where she got cast, she's in the opening of her season, but never once actually did a sketch on SNL? No, she's not Emily Prager, don't worry. Oh, okay, okay. Valerie Bromfeld was... Dan Aykroyd's old comedy partner back in Toronto in the 1970s. And when Lorne Michaels booked Aykroyd for the show, there was a plan for Bromfield to be this sort of featured performer that would do bits and eventually be a part of the cast because he was still experimenting with other performances because he had George Coe, who was an older guy who, was, um, who would do things, and he wanted Bromfield in there because he, he banked a lot of stock in Bromfield. He she was the person that was supposed to be the big breakout from this cast. And then, of course, he fell in love with Chevy Chase and yada yada. But Bromfield had a bit planned in the very first episode of Saturday Night Live in 1975. It was because of the show running long, it was trimmed from five minutes to two minutes. And because of that, another featured performer that was supposed to perform stand-up on the show, a little-known New York uh, comedian named Billy Crystal was taken out of the show. As a matter of fact, he has a... When he hosts the show in the 80s, 
he has a bit where he talks about the very first SNL and he brings up Valerie Bromfeld and the fact that she got on and he didn't. And Lorne, in the years that followed, would try to make Valerie Bromfield a thing again because she, she never appeared on SNL again because Chevy happened and the SNL became what it is. But in 1984, when Lorne was in his way period in between SNL, he started his own rival sketch show called The New Show. Lorne Michaels' right. New Show. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was trying to do the sort of SNL thing with his friends and his collaborators. So he had Buck Henry as a regular performer. He had Dave Thomas from SCTV. He had uh, his friends like Penny Marshall and Paul Simon and Jeff Goldblum and John Candy come on as host. This sounds really good. And as an, the sole female regular performer, he had Valerie Bromfield. Okay. Who was in all nine episodes with uh, Buck Henry and Dave Thomas. And that didn't work either. Because mm. that only lasted nine episodes. And it tanked and Lauren went back to SNL. So Valerie Bromfield was 0-2 with trying to go up to success with a sketch comedy show. So she eventually went on to do guest voices on Tiny Toons Adventures. Again, if you think that Gail Mathias's fall was long and arduous, this is even bigger and this is even wilder. So going back into the episode, um, the entire share number really amused me. Other than the fact that it's there to set up the conflict between Babs and Buster which pads out this already contrived to pad it out episode, but it amused me just how fast it went and how quick it was and how it moved and how it leads right into a very abrupt and fun piranha gag. And also because uh, Tress's share impression is pretty did, good. Did you like the song? They say we share a share alike That means I borrow whatever Babs will lend Share with you, you share with me, but that doesn't mean I loan you my boyfriend. Share, I share with you, Beth. Sort of. I didn't. Yeah, I could. I don't. It, it felt very. Talk about padding. It's like okay, and um, they sing a song that has the word share in it a lot because it's share. It isn't that funny. And also, it's funny that as you're recording this, uh, Cher released a Christmas album, which, oh, yeah. fun fact. So, my sister, she went mm -hmm. to uh, Jingle Ball in Master Square Garden, like, a day or two ago as I'm recording this. And yeah. Cher was there, apparently. Like, as one of the acts at Jingle Ball? I think she was a surprise, I think. I don't know. But um, that doesn't fit in with that usual clientele. It's like featuring Olivia Rodrigo, Lizzo, SZA, Cher, Harry Styles. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And according to my sister, she was lip syncing as hell. Yeah, that that the fact that she's lip syncing that makes me so sad. <laughs> Little believe joke for you. So that that falls apart. Uh, Babs thinks that. Buster's cheat on her with Cher or whatever. How? Uh, yeah, we don't need that. Conflict. Um, um, as we get... Shatner's here. Yes, as we get William Shatner 
And it's Shatner and Plucky. Uh, they're singing some Christmas song. They're singing The Little Drummer, Drummer Boy. And Shatner keeps putting a lot of meat and potatoes on those padum padums. As uh, Max gives them like explosive microphones, it explodes. And I do love this. I love this gag so much because, you know, oh, Daffy's bill flies off. That's been done. But I love just Plucky's bill comes off and lands on Shatner. And Shatner's toupee falls on Plucky. I love I like that. that. That's that, great. That was, yeah. Um, and then just the bit where as everybody's basically just complaining and, and and trying to get the hell out of there. And you just see Shatner trying to keep it going, going, beam me up, Santa. That got me. Yes. Well, the line that got me was Cher saying... I gave up. It's a Cosby Family Christmas for this. Cher Buster was doing you a favor. <laughs> yeah. me now, no. Buster saved your ass. Zbop. But yeah, the whole thing is like, all right, everything's going wrong. And this, you know, and, oh, the show's being, and now Max is basically running the show and Buster needs to go away. Buster's to the sad. Side of He's sad because this is a, this is an It's a Wonderful Life thing, and that's what this has to be. And I do like, like, one of the, the good things about this first part, actually, no, there's a lot that's good about this part, but I like that we just have the, the narration cutting in, like, any questions? Yeah, uh, how come he isn't wearing any pants? Harvey! <laughs> <laughs> but also, what's really cool about this is that as, you know, to, to give, you know, depth to his decision to you know, jump off a bridge or whatever, we have Buster literally about to exit the frame of animation, which is a really that cool was great. meta game. I love that yeah. so much. It's like like the, the ends of the film on its side, it kind of looks like the bridge. It's like, oh, that's yeah. so creative. That's so good. Yeah. Why is the rest of it like that? No, really. But, yeah, the, and now we basically get the rest of this is, it's a wonderful life, essentially, with some little subversions. Like, you know, it's like, well, I'm, I'm the, I'm your, your fair, uh, you know, whatever it is. I, I'm your, your angel, guardian angel. Yeah, and I'm Frank Capra. <laughs> you know, and then we get like, oh, you have to learn about this. And, you know, you're, you're never born. All right, we'll do that plot. And, you know, getting that on the head a lot. And then, oh, it looks completely different, doesn't it? And there are good bits in here. A lot of them honestly involve Plucky. Which, to be fair, if all you've got are is Chester McNeil and Joe Alasky, pretty fair bet to be like, okay, what do we do here? Let's give Joe Alasky a lot of lines. Because he's Yes, we Plucky, like him. And we like writing him. So, yeah. So, Plucky becomes the lead of Tiny Toon Adventures, which means they have to record a second Tiny Toon Adventure. Yep. <laughs> Just a little loony, and every afternoony, I'm invading your TV. I'm Babsy. I'm Plucky. I work with him, I'm lucky. For Tiny Toons, I won the best performance by a duck and me. Oh, I'm Plucky Duck, and I'm a zany megastar. There's lots of other Tiny Toons, but who cares who they are? He's Plucky the Mallard, he's funnier than Kay Ballard. It's Tiny Toon Adventures, come and join the fun. And now my song is done. Yeah. And at least Tress doesn't have to act like she enjoys it in this bit. No. Babs is dreading this. 
All she yeah. does is get hit with anvils. I, I love yeah. it. I, no, I love the bit where it's like, okay, today's scene is once again, ducks. I hate my life. <laughs> I like the, the bit here where Buster tries to prove himself to Plucky. And Plucky's like, what, say, what are you, a spy from Disney? <laughs> oh my God, this yeah. whole bit. Nice try, Katzenberg. That's good. We get it, good. Sherry. You used to do some work for Disney. <laughs> Oh, 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 you, Susan, she would continue to work for, with Disney. Yeah. Um, it's also funny that they bring up Katzenberg because Katzenberg, in a span of a couple of years, would be working with the uh, executive producer in a studio of their own. Yeah. Also, it's it, at this point, isn't it kind of amazing how they don't make a colorization joke in this? Because no. this is 92, right? Like, it wasn't the colorization of What's Wonderful Life around this time? I think so. It's, it's, yeah, surprising they didn't. Maybe they just thought it was going to be too easy. But that doesn't make sense considering that there's a lot of really easy jokes in this section. Because so much of this is just going about the beats of It's a Wonderful Life. And like even even the the Jimmy Stewart is like, you know, is it me or shouldn't have caught on by now? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, there's sure. not a lot of real subversion because it's just sort of like Buster stupidly just going through the thing so we can do It's a Wonderful Life. And so... We can see all these things and make the point very clear and, you know, do the thing that they always do. Like, Acme University is now Max's business of, of, of Luniversity, which, yeah. as two people who went to college and got uh, writing uh, degrees, um, maybe we should have gone to that, that school, actually. No. <laughs> Teach no, me how to be a lawyer, please. No, no, it wouldn't no. be any fun. And also, alternative alternate universe of Montana Max looks has the exact hairstyle and dress sense as Donald Trump in 1992. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's interesting. They knew what they were doing. They knew exactly what they were doing. Also, in in the scene where, and, and I will say, one of the better homages to It's a Wonderful Life is the scene where Buster goes to see Babs in the screening room, and she's watching old Looney Tunes cartoons. Yeah, it's it's at the the film library. Yeah, well, yeah. I find it odd that after Tiny Toons Adventures gave Bob Bergen his first big break as Porky, they had to go back to Greg Burson for Porky for this one. Oh. And honestly, like That's there are some blackout bits here where they have like a Porky and Petunia bit where they do the You Want the Moon, and they have um, a Pepe Le Pew and Penelope bit involving the perfume Zuzu's Petals, which is another It's a Wonderful Life reference. Uh, which is Greg Burson again. The Pepe Le Pew sequence was actually really good. Like, yeah, it, it, was. it was a really good representation of a Pepe Le Pew moment. So, like, surprised for, for that. Like, I, yeah, no, I like that. But of course, you know, and again, like the the way they actually portray the anguish of this scene in the original version, I think they do a good job of it. I mean, again, there's not a lot of subversion. They're not exactly making this funny and doing anything with it other than presenting the beats as they are. But, I mean, they respect the original. Sure. But, like, at this point, It's a Wonderful Life parodies were catching on. You could make fun of It's a Wonderful Life. It's fun to do. But now they're like, no, 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 no. We're going to do this seriously. Or as serious as we could, being a show about Bleed Tune people. And, 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 and so, basically, that's the thing. Even... The Jimmy Stewart character can only do so much because he's basically a straight man 
And he's not really doing, he's just sort of bridging the thing together. And he's like, all right, well, this is how it works. And we're just doing it this way. And it's just, it's not, they're not doing anything that's really breaking the mold or anything. They're just going about this as usual. And to the point where they even go about the, the, the commercial barriers, like, oh, I can't tell them because they're going to do some commercials. Even that's not as funny as it could be. It's just sort of thumps along. And like, even when they. You know, I was like, no, no, I take it back. I want to come back. I want to come back. Yeah. It just kind of happens. There's no big, like, yeah. wow moment. It's just the rabbit leaves, and he's like, oh, yeah. don't leave without me. And then Bob's like, Buster, what are you doing? And I do like this joke here. Babs, do you know who I am? Buster, this is no time for some tired American Express card parody. Yippee! That's a great line. Mel Blank did American Express card yeah. exactly of that, so I'm going to believe that, that that was a very coy reference to that. Which, good job. Exactly. That was good. But it's, you can feel it snap back into place because they're actually able to do uh, Tiny Toons things rather than just do the same old tired It's a Wonderful Life thing. So, again, like here, because they're doing the the bits from It's a Wonderful Life where he goes on and kisses the sign and is, is appreciative of everything and Babs is just sort of lagging behind him thinking he's a wacko. But also, we have the, in, in Buster's new love for everything in Acme Acres, it spreads to Spielberg, the audience, the world. He's just, <laughs> he's, he's too excited about it. it. So that's at least a good touch. So then we, we got back inside as Max has ruined the show and because he's given Plucky the whole thing, which, hey... Maybe the producers are saying that the Plucky Duck show didn't work, but I think giving the floor to Plucky is actually a good thing because he's responsible for a lot of the funniest parts of a lot of the Tiny Toons Adventures cartoons we've seen this year. But Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should look at some Plucky Duck show stuff. Maybe. I don't know. Is it that that was its own thing, right? Like that 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 wasn't like they made one original episode and then they did a lot of uh, repackaged episodes from Tiny Toons Adventure. So, um, and also they have Elmira as Leona Hemsley, which was that even relevant in 1992 still? I didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, well, very early 90s. Yeah, as uh, Buster and Babs go in, they're like, yeah, Max, you're fired. Buster, you get to do the show. It's like, oh, yay. And. If this doesn't confirm this on a serious finale, I don't know what is, but um, we get this reveal that what Buster was whispering to share about was, oh, what would, should I give Babs for Christmas? And uh, they kiss. They, they actually do it. Yeah. And uh, they're together. Don't... Yeah. They, they, got, they, got, they got together. Sure. It's a serious finale. The relationship lasted five minutes. Sure. Just sure. Speaking of Billy Crystal, they do do a comedy relief joke. Oh my God, this. We yeah. have to talk about this because there's a okay. whole thing where some of the money from the executives goes to charity and it's Whoopi Goldberg, Billy Crystal, and Robin Williams. And Whoopi goes, I'm just here for comic relief, which, ha ha. Also, this is very important. Is this the only time Whoopi Goldberg has been in a Looney Tunes? Has been in a Looney production where she doesn't want to fuck one of the Looney Tunes? <laughs> <laughs> we found one. We found Finally, one. we found one. But it wasn't voiced by Whoopi. 
So I don't no. know. Can, can we go? Yeah, maybe the, the, only the real one actually does it. Exactly. It's like, you know. The, the, the Tiny Toon Riders were sitting, were sitting going, okay, what can we say about Whoopi that Whoopi hasn't already said about fucking the Looney Tunes? A comedy relief joke. Okay, that's fine. And then you have uh, Valerie Rumfeld, <laughs> Rumfeld going, I resemble that remark. Don't get that crystal fucker. <laughs> yeah. They're like, um, or maybe maybe Whoopi, maybe there was something in the script about Whoopi, Whoopi wanted to fuck one of the uh, Looney Tunes and Whoopi was like, no, I'm only allowed to do that. You can't do that on my behalf. <laughs> That's not polite. I love, tw- because- I love Speedy. <laughs> He's very quick. If you know what Making I mean. those jokes on my behalf is like saying the real thing didn't exist. So you have to pr- pr- present these as they were, as I say them, without talking over me or doing something racist. Like, I don't know, saying the Holocaust didn't exist. Also, I want to fuck Porky. It's the season finale. We're allowed to do all these callbacks. Um, <laughs> they did. That's yeah, true. True. Ah, man. So, the very last moments we have of Tiny Toon Adventures in its prime is a song that I don't don't remember a single fucking word of. No, neither do I. Neither do I. Um, Oh, and um, Montana Max is now the, the, um, the star on the tree, which isn't funny because it got spoiled in the opening. They threw in the opening titles briefly. Sure. I was like, oh, well, you, you spoiled it. I knew it was going to happen. But, uh, but yeah, it ends with our with the Tiny Toons cast going off into the moon. And then we cut back to Harvey. Yes. <laughs> and then the ending reveal that it's 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 been Bugs the whole time that saved the show as Harvey. And I like that as he sort of walks off into the halls of University. I, I think that's a really fitting end of this. You know, yeah. I started with Bugs, might as well end with So, so uh, yeah. This was fine. Um, yeah. Okay, as a because you know, <clears throat> how I'm how I'm grading this is you know, how is it as an episode? How is it as a Christmas special? As a Christmas special, it sure just plays the hits of "It's a Wonderful Life" and doesn't really do anything with it. So, yeah. just by technicality, I guess it's a decent Christmas special. As an episode, as a pretty sure known series finale, um, it could have been better. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're doing a series finale, like go all out with it, you know. Have uh, I mean, okay, they do have pretty much like all the characters in it at one point, so there's that. But um, a lot of them have no lines. A lot of them really have their own moments. Um, almost like their movie. Hmm. Weird. Um, yeah, it's it's a fine uh, Tiny Toons adventure effort. I'm sure the ones they did after the other the, uh, the other TV specials were better. Probably, but no, it just it look when this special does Tiny Toons things, it's pretty good. When it stops to remember and needs to be a Winston Wonderful Life thing, it's formulaic and tired. I think this does work in places like a lot of the Tiny Toons stuff, but it doesn't completely stick the landing. And it, again, it has this late production feel, as well as John Cassier doing his best to do Charlie Adler. 
And it feels like everybody's packing up their things and leaving and not spending enough time making sure this is a good ending note. Because you can talk about so many shows that even if as they were ending, found a way to make a good, strong finale. You can talk about Futurama doing this. You can talk about Animaniacs, in a sense, doing this. There's there's several others that I'm not thinking of. Uh, Ed, Ed, Ed and Nettie doing this. Yeah. Not every show can do that because sometimes production is what it is and you're just asked to throw something in by the network and saying, hey, we need a Christmas special. And so their hands are tied and they do what they can. And that's really what this was. They had things wrapped up. They could have maybe not done a Christmas special, but the masses wanted one, so they did one. It was fine. It was very formulaic. It wasn't the, this writing team's best effort, but it fulfilled the quota, and it, and it aired, and kids liked it, and that's really all that matters, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a fine enough effort for a fine enough show. Yeah. All right, I'm giving this special... A three out of five anvils. That's exactly what I'm giving it. It's good. There's some good moments, but there's a lot that I didn't love as well. So there you go. So before we go into our our next uh, special uh, next special with a with a special guest, I take this time to do some holiday reminiscing. So Jordan, what is your favorite Christmas or like holiday memory as a kid? This I, I genuinely have to think about because, like, Christmas when I was a kid, it was it was always it was always a big deal for me because, like, you know, I when I was a kid, I collected lots of action figures and things and, and mm-hmm. had lots of very wild special special interests, and so it was just like the thing the the big gifts that I remember, like I remember the Christmas where we got our DVD player. Um, that was Christmas 2001 and we got a DVD player and I got copies of the, the first Shrek and, uh, how the Grinch stole Christmas with Jim Carrey. Um, and I was able to build my DVD collection in addition to my VHS collection. I remember the, the year where I got my first iPod nano and was able to, you know, <laughs> collect my own music. Uh, yeah, no, 2009, this was a big deal. Cause I was what? one of the last people to get one. Yeah. Yeah. So... And it, and it was the one that could shoot video, and I had it in, 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 in green and everything. Yeah, and I remember that iPod Nano because mm-hmm. that, oh. that, that like, like November, December, I think, I think you had a, a birthday party that year. I think we saw, like, yeah, probably. And so I was like, and this is 09. This was right when uh, the Beatles released their, um, their music remastered for the first time. And also because it was going on, on to iTunes, it was a big deal. Yeah. And I got you Abbey Road. Yes, and that was awesome. I got a couple of those remasters. I think I just got like um, I got Abbey Road, obviously, but I think I have I got Sergeant Pepper and mm-hmm. uh, the White Album as well. Um, yeah. Really, to me, the ones that that mattered. Uh, I, yeah. To this day, I, I still look for some of the O nine remasters if I can find them because those are good. When I got Sergeant Pepper. Because I got the CDs, and at the time I had my my first iPod Touch, so I put it, I put the song on my iPod Touch. I'm like, yes, I can listen to the Beatles wherever I want. And it was at this time I didn't know what stereo was, so I'm listening to the music. I remember this. I messaged you, Jordan. Come like, hey, I'm listening to Sgt. Pepper. Are the horns supposed to be from the right side? And you're like. Yes, that's what stereo is. I'm like, stereo. oh, okay. okay. 
It's supposed to be over there. No, I got thrown off the first time I heard I listened to um, Rolling Stones. Is she's a rainbow on um, on on iPhone speakers? Because like that whole album is a stereo album, and it's it's very much separated because they were trying to do Sergeant Pepper. By the way, that album is so underrated. I love that album. Uh, the their Satanic Majesty's Request. That's a really good album, even though it's not as it's not a real Rolling Stones album. It's just them trying to be the Beatles. But uh, I like it a lot, and but yeah, no, they have they have stereo mixes of all those, and I think they've they've done mono versions as if not to confuse people. Same with the Who Sell Out as well. That, that's mm-hmm. also a stereo version, very famously. Another great album. Um, I, I'm very lucky that I've had my fair share of nice Christmases. I when I was a kid, we would go to my aunt's place, and I didn't really get along with my aunt's family because they weren't ready for somebody as weird as me. But um, but eventually we ended up going to my um, I don't know if great aunts is she's my uh, my grandmother's sister and um, and they're they're essentially a great aunt but, but she really is great as well her and my aunt and uncle there and they have they had a place in um, they still have a place in Queens but it was a different place in Queens so we would eventually just go over there better family better conversations and I have a lot of fond memories of Christmas spent over there they they sold that house now they have a smaller place and so I always just remember. Christmas at that house in Queens and very nostalgic for me. Yeah. So my family, um, because we're like mostly Jewish. Um, yeah, that's what, the thing. What one of my mom's sisters, what, what my aunt's on mom's side would do because they had, they lived in, they lived in the tri-state area, but they had a really big house. It was a really nice house. So what we would do for a couple of years is that we would have these, you know, these, these holiday parties is what I would call them. Essentially, they were legally not Christmas parties to not have the children feel left out. That's pretty much what they were. It's the non-denominational holiday extravaganza. And um, I, yeah, and actually I, I got some really good gifts because right around the time we started them is when I got to DVDs. In fact, that's that's when I got my first uh, DVD, portable DVD player. I got that with cool. the killer <laughs> triple feature of Spider-Man 2, Scooby-Doo 2, and uh, Shrek 2. I had all of those on DVD. I, I, that was they're, a good They're time. good DVDs. They're really good DVDs. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, so I had that. And then, like, pretty much every holiday thing to be like, oh, what w- would Mark want? So, like, in oh, like in oh five oh six, I got the uh, Star Wars uh, trilogy set. God, that, that that was really good. I got the um, Looney Tunes movie collection to tie back to our show. I got that, which was which was <laughs> so good because I didn't know that existed. I'm like, oh my god, this is great! It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. And I got uh, Toy Story two uh, for one of them. So, um, oh yeah. In, in fact, in fact, Jordan, so we did these. Pretty much until the recession in 08. And here's how I knew. Here's here's the kid version. Like, oh, how did I know that? You know, it wasn't, you know, like family losing The, the jobs gifts got cheaper? Or... No. The gifts went from like, wow, multiple DVDs to I got one set of, it was the X-Men collection. It was, it was X-Men 1, X-Men 2, and X-Men Last Stand. I will say, good said. I like the X Men movies. I'm not weirdo. <laughs> they had some, they had some, uh, some positives beyond just the director being a horrible person. But um, 
yeah, I, I just got the X-Men collection. And I'm like, oh, something's wrong. It, it, it's literally, it, it's literally from, from the Fayot parents after uh, special. It's like, what, what, where's my ocean? This is a puddle. Where's my ocean? It's like, yeah, yeah it's just the X-Men collection, man. And yeah. then we, uh, and then we pretty much stopped doing them because no good afford anything. Yeah. Um, and also like they moved to Kentucky and they were like, okay, well, ah. we're done. <laughs> we're done here. All right. So we have Mike from Cinema Marketing today. How are you, Mike? Hey, good to, good to be here on this uh, very festive Christmas special, even though we're recording this uh, far outside of the holiday season. Uh, this is, so yeah. this is like, for me, this is the first, the first real Christmas thing that I'm doing this year. But by the time this comes like out, it'll politics. probably be like, you know, in the, right in the mist. No, it's okay. No, I'm, it, I didn't really start this early in the year, but, uh, you know, it's good to like, you know, get a little, a little, uh, kickstart into that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, depending on who you, t- depending on which, like, um, you know, uh, capitalism people it's never too early to start talking about christmas um but oh, like it never is yeah. as evident by my retail job where literally on november 1st i walk in and there's Christmas music playing and immediately i'm like really like uh, i'm on i'm on the walkie talking like seriously guys we're doing this now it's like let yeah. halloween breathe <laughs> i have a friend who put up his tree already <laughs> oh and it's already it's only november we're, we're in november 14th yeah. at this point or 13th Somewhere around yeah, one yeah. of those dates, but yeah, no. So yeah, it's never too early. It's funny because like <laughs> the listeners will figure this out like by the end of this. But we we recorded one of these in October, which was nowhere near Christmas vibes. So like we we <laughs> we had to supply all the Christmas cheer ourselves, yeah. even in the most non Christmassy uh, of moments. <laughs> sorry to ruin the illusion. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I gave up on keeping the illusion a long time ago. In right. October, actually. Yeah. Um, no. Yes. We can so do meta. The, <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, the ep- Christmas episode we will be covering today is, in my opinion, it's probably the best one, or at very least the most critically acclaimed one, that being... A Pinky and the Brain Christmas. Right. Have you guys seen the special before? Because I haven't. Not all of it. Yeah, no, I hadn't seen this either. I was never really uh, a Pinky and the Brain watcher when I was younger. I never really watched any of like, the WB cartoons. Like, I was a yeah. big cartoons as far as like Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, but like yeah. I never really got into... I was never really much about like tiny tunes or even like batman the animated series it was like when i was older is when i kind of like you know as an animation historian (laughs) is is the angle that i'd approach those with but for for this uh yeah this is a one that i had you know kind of always heard about like in a vacuum as being like you know even if you don't watch pinky and the brain as a show like this particular special on its own is like you know worthy on its own and holds up and like you know you can watch it outside of having any sort of attachment to the main series and um i'd say for the most part that i'd i'd say that that's where i would fall on it i thought it was pretty charming uh it's it's one of those things like i'm not i think the thing about pinky and the brain that i never really was able to get into much is this that like i feel like i i even as a kid felt like i'd seen that dynamic a lot where it's like you have 
two guys, one who's a dumb idiot, and then the other one who's like a stuck-up, snooty, smart genius. And I'm like, I'd run in Stimpy, Cat Dog, Angry Beavers, and like I had kind of gotten tired of seeing that a lot. So, but then like you know, as you go up, you see like you know, Ren and Stimpy was kind of like you know, I guess the inception point of that. And then I think yeah. Pinky the Brain is like you know another, another you know well like well adapted version of that and then like you know the later iterations of that as kind of what i had probably been exposed to a lot which made me think like oh i just don't like that dynamic but that's fair phineas and ferb is that you know a lot of from phase of first very much the the whole dr um doofenshmirtz plot line is literally it's kind of a combination bringing the brain where like he thinks he's a genius but he doesn't know what the hell he's doing, yeah. and he isn't. So it, it, it's it, it's it's a very stereotypical cartoon combination that's always been there. Even going back to to Looney Tunes cartoons, I mean, there's I uh, you know from, from like there's uh, we don't love these characters, <laughs> but the uh, what what the the Abbott and Costello cats yeah. from Abbott Mattel and Castello. Kitties, like, yeah, which that was their their whole thing. It's just he's the smart one. He's a big dummy. Yeah. And we're going to roll with this for 50 years, yeah. and everyone will love it, and no one will get sick of it at all. So, Pinging the Brain Christmas did actually come out closer to Christmas. came out on December 13th, 1995. Regardless of what happened on that day, guys, do you want to hear a <laughs> Cold Stone bummer? <laughs> this, this is a great way of breaking a guest into the On This Days, which is like, all right, instead of like one of the actual cool things on here, like, I know that, like, not to, to foreshadow, but I know that one of Mike's favorite movies of all time, Toy Story, was in theaters while this episode came out. But, like, yeah, yeah we'll, 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 do, we'll, we'll do the depressing one, Mark. So, actor Christopher Reeve, famously known for playing Superman in the Richard Donner films, not the first time we'll mention Donner, by the way, it comes back <laughs> later, um, he was <laughs> released from Physical Rehab Center after he fell from his horse in a riding competition, which would paralyze him. Yeah, that's the lighthearted note this Christmas special is going Backtrack with. a little bit, because I think uh, the the reception is a little bit uh, delayed. Like, I feel like I'm hearing things oh. um, like a little past the point. And also, I think I might have missed okay. like the thing that Mark said. What was the thing about Christopher Reeves? And you're like, oh, way to break it into my... I'm like, wait, what happened? How did the, How did we get... On to this topic? Well, oh my! <laughs> it, it was the on this day. Oh my! It was the on this day thing that we were oh. doing. Oh, on the day that this was released. Well, was if this... you want me to say that tragic news again, Mike. Um, oh boy! On this day, Christopher Lee. Yeah, no, Christopher, Christopher Reeve. Lee, that's a different left, thing. That's mm. a different actor altogether. Christopher Reeve left his re. He left physical rehab on this day after his incident where he fell off the horse and it paralyzed him. Yeah. So that was oh. in the minds of audience members when this episode oh. was out. So, so, okay, so he recovered. So, see, that's good news. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he walked right out of there. He flew out of there, actually. Yeah. It's amazing. No, no, you see... <laughs> He got to star in the remake of Rear Window. They f- they found a character oh, yeah. that he could physically play. I, I keep forgetting they did do a remake of Rear Window, and, and, and that's one of the few non-maligned Hitchcock remakes of that era. It was directed by Rusty Mills, written by Peter Hastings, 
two, you know, reliable Pinking the Brain Animaniacs writers. And the main thing that this episode is known for is that it won the Primetime Emmy Award for Animated Program in 1996. And the other nominees were No Smoking, an episode from Cow and Chicken, Dexter's mm. Laboratory, the episode Big Sister, uh, an episode of Duckman, Noir Gang, and, okay, Treehouse of Horror 6 from The Simpsons. Oh! I, I, okay, that's, that's a pretty... It's a that's a pretty tough one but i i would say you know i'm sure simpsons probably had a couple of uh of emmys at that point throw a little bone to to pinky in the brain if i can remember correctly and i haven't watched the commentaries in a long time but i think they did bring up how like i'm pretty sure they, they did a chalkboard gag after they lost about something about like you know I, I won't be a sore loser about losing to a pair of lab mice or something. I don't know. But I do remember I do remember I do remember that they were like, We lost to Pinky and the Brain Christmas. Well, I believe this episode would have won the Emmy. You'll hear this on a couple other tracks this year. I want to make it clear that Pinky and the Brain was a good show, but it did not compare to this season of The Simpsons. Okay? No bitterness. I, but. I, I, you know, I have to say I was flabbergasted when that happened and they got their uh they got their props for their but Christmas But they don't episode. even mention us on the Pinky and Your Brain commentaries. I'm sure. <laughs> I've been listening to every single one. Honestly, I was so bitter that you nominated the Halloween episode. I, I voted for Pinky and the Brain. <laughs> okay, yeah, Treehouse of Horror 6 is the one that has uh, the the Willie as Freddy Krueger. Uh, it's the one oh, that has uh, the 3D Homer going into the, the Matrix uh, yeah. 3D realm. And then... And then the one where the the mascots uh, come to life, which that one's all right. But I would say that uh, if it was Treehouse of Horror, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, we did just get out of Halloween, and I watched a lot of Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. Uh, to me, I think that the oh, the, yeah. the the peak yeah. is five. Is yeah, yes, the, it the is. one is yeah five. That's the one with the sh- the Shining, the toaster, and the the uh, the. The teacher is eating these kids at the cafeteria, and then it ends with the uh, the chorus line. Uh, thing. That's that's <laughs> the best that. one. Oh yeah, that is the best one. Yeah, you are you are no, correct. That dude, it's it's a real to- it's a real toss up for me between five and four. Yeah, same. But really, because like four is also like incredible. But uh, yeah, uh, uh, you can't go wrong with either of them. We're on a hot streak. Yeah. yeah. Uh, apparently, according to. Um, I would guess, according to Maurice LaMarche and Rob Paulson, because they, they, they talk a lot about picking the brain, as they should. Um, the production for this episode began with uh, Tom Ruger and Gene McCurdy, who were like the bosses. They approached Peter Hastings to make a, a Christmas special. He thought of two ideas. One idea was Brain realizing the emotional value of Christmas specials and creating his own with Pinky entitled The Littlest Snowflake. <laughs> To manipulate people through their televisions. Yeah, that's a good one. And the other idea was the one that got made, which was the mice infiltrate Santa's workshop for a plan. So yeah, they were they were this close to constantly to we're this close to having Maurice Lamarche as the brain go, you stupid snowflake, <laughs> which I'm sure would do amazing in today's. They put that in their remake, and they wouldn't have to change anything. Yeah, I'm sure that there's some kind of jokes like that in the rebooted. Th- That's the thing is like now, cartoons that are like meta or like like that in the 90s that was like a novel concept, but now it's like yeah. if a cartoon does it, I'm like you're rolling your eyes at it. You're like, come on, everything does this. Like, it's because Rick and Morty made it uncool. Yeah, <laughs> I 
did watch a Pink in the Brain reboot segment this year, Mike, where, yeah, I pretty much felt that throughout it. It was like oh. them doing a Mad Max Fury Road parody. And, like, oh. that was good. And then they did, like, they tried to do, like, a music festival send-up, which was half-baked. And they tried throwing in Eli Musk. Oh, see, see, you know, here's a... It, that's a that's a thing I, I that's a, ph- a phenomenon I've been thinking about. I'm like, why was it that like when the Simpsons and like all these shows in the '90s or even like South Park when they were making fun of topical things, it was like cutting edge and it was like a defining moment and and it is still timeless now. But it's like when the Simpsons parodies like something current now it's total cringe i'm like why why is that like what was the what was the i'm like i get yeah good writing that's obviously the difference but it's like why why did it happen but now it's like that across all media where it's like things where it's like you're like in back then even at SNL making jokes about things that just happened was funny in the nineties, but now it's just like so expected yeah. and played out and tired. I think also we grew up. Yeah, but it's like we yeah, but we still we could still watch those old ones now as adults and find them funny and recognize that they were like well written and clever. Yeah. I feel like maybe it's also just like maybe we're more self aware, like we're what we're like interpreting the news and media and we're making our own jokes about it on twitter and whatever and then by the time that the show does it it's like everyone's made these jokes already yeah yeah that's the other thing yeah and and also just uh, satire is a gene that's not as present as it was when i think we were growing up and it's harder to be really good and satirical while also not feeling like your ideas have been compromised and so that's that's a whole another rant for a whole nother thing but but that's basically you know, a lot of it. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Pinky and the Brain Christmas. So I'll do like a quick, I'll do like a quick like summary of it before we go into like what we liked, what we did. Yeah. Like, it's Christmas Eve, and uh, you know, Pinky and the Brain. They're like, okay, we have to. Obviously, we have to use Christmas to take over the world. It's so simple. So, Brain's idea is, I'm going to make a toy that has a chip in it that will go off. On Christmas Day, and I'll tell everybody all, all around the world by using Santa to deliver all these toys to let Brain take over the world. Right. And while this is going on, Pinky is trying to write down his letter to Santa. He wants to give this letter to Santa because it's so important to him. And they they blend in with the elves at, at one point, and then that goes that goes haywire. They they eventually they eventually do get the blueprints to the elves. They make the toys. It gets set out through all around the world. And then um, something happens that I think deserves its own segment, frankly. Yeah. And um, things wind up okay at the end. It's, yeah. a, it's a happy Christmas ending. So what do we think? What do we think of just just overall? Just not even overall, but like, um, did this work as a Christmas special? Do we think? No, I think it does because of how uh, I think the thing that the tie in uh, the like the wraparound at the end where it's like that that uh, that emotional catharsis that you get. It's like oh that that meaning of Christmas type of feel. That it's like you know you get from it. I'm like all right, that made it feel like you know all worth it. Yeah. That's 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 one of the best things about this, um, and also I, I like that this this special uses the sort of well not to the extent of maybe some other Christmas specials. This uses the sort of 
cynical kind of way in, in term in terms of like it's cynical in terms of like getting like the 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 oh, it toy in people's house. Oh, is a cynical yeah. fucker. Yeah, he's a I like cynical that. fucker throughout this, and, that, and that's what's great about this because because this was I believe made in season one of the show. Because yeah. they're on the way drive, it's in season one of the, of the show. So by this point, the writers knew how to write these characters. So it makes perfect sense. Like, oh yes, of course, Brain would be like the the cynical. No, we must focus on this. This is what's important. And of course, Pinky's the innocent who still writes letters to Santa and loves a horse. Don't don't think too much. It's all the thing. That's that's in the the movie, but yeah. One question I had about just the show in general, as someone who has never really watched the show. So I get that Brain wants to take over the world. Does Pinky care at all? Does he even know what he's doing, or is he just like you know he happy does. to be there? He's, he's just trying to help. Yeah, he he's he, he's the lovable goofball character who, f- for reasons that they don't really disclose in the show, because frankly it's not important. Like that's the only with nineties cartoon writing is that's very much he's just silly. They have reached they didn't reach a point yet where they're like no let's write like lore like what is it. That Pinky likes about the brain. What's his trauma about that? <laughs> exactly. And I I haven't seen enough reboot episodes to know if they did address that. If I had to guess, maybe. Um, but yeah, it, it's very much just Pinky trying to help his friend the brain and take over take over the world and have fun while doing it. Pretty much. One of the things I really like about the special is the fact that while it does have this cynical edge to it that because of Brain's point of view on Christmas, the tone of the special in general, I think, takes the side of Pinky in that it it, it treats Christmas with the utmost respect. It, it has this very traditional sort of like Christmas spirit and Christmas cheer about it. It doesn't like completely ruin the illusion or anything. It shows a very faithful Santa and it's the faithful elves workshop and everything. It, it doesn't squash that. It doesn't make that more into a more jaded or more senseless version of that it, it's like okay this is what christmas is this is what christmas spirit means this is what th- we're supposed to do here and we're certainly not going to mess with it even though they are going to have fun with some of the conventions of, of elf politics and elf unionization aren't you glad we we're covering this after <laughs> strikes have ended jordan yeah very <laughs> oh yeah this, oh yeah i forgot I, I, was, I, I, I was thinking i was thinking i was like what what's he going on about what's he talking about and then i remembered oh yeah this 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 uh this episode doesn't seem to be too kind to unions <laughs> no no it doesn't uh it was the 90s unions weren't cool yet um especially in animation <laughs> the big cool extreme union craze yeah but um but yeah no i i'd like that's the thing. I like when they take concepts that we, you know, that they that are already sort of, you know, respectful in other Christmas specials, that then and they have fun on like they have like the this random Italian Ron Silver elf that's that's sort of following them around and saying things. Yeah, well, uh, Mister C, uh, we're not really sure. I got those dumb guys down there going crazy looking for the blueprint. What's with that goatee? Is that still in? Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hey, I'm an elf. I was wondering who that was. My guess is Ron Silver. I could be very wrong. It was very specifically someone. I feel like that's another trope that I see in a lot of these like uh, children's Christmas episode cartoons where there's always like the head elf is like some Italian mob boss and he's going to boss all the elves around. What you doing? Get it. Get back to work. <laughs> Italian elves. Sure. 
Yeah, I feel like that's in like yeah, and like uh, the Polar Express. I feel like that was a oh. that was a thing in that. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think like Jimmy Neutron, the Christmas special. There was like a there was like you <laughs> oh know a tough guy God. Italian elf. Wouldn't you? Uh, <laughs> oh, I haven't seen that forever. You know, I initially thought you were putting me on, but there is more of this trope that I initially thought. Like like th- this is a whole wide ranging trope. I need to like look for these and write down. All the people that have done this. This is a huge thing. Yeah, uh, a few years ago, me and me and uh, my my co-host Ann, we used to we would watch. We I think it was during COVID twenty twenty. Uh, during December, we mm. decided, well, all right, well, let's remotely watch one Christmas cartoon episode a day. We made a spreadsheet of twenty five, and then every night we picked a random oh, one. Nice. And in doing that, we discovered so many recurring tropes that happen it's like santa's put out a commission and then the main character has to become santa and deliver all the toys there's like we have to give this orphan the best christmas ever uh there's like uh, i have to become a mall santa in order to be able to afford uh christmas presents for my family uh that's the simpsons first episode actually yes yeah classic and this one kind of has like a little thing is like yeah we got to go to Santa's workshop and and, uh, and and I mean like I feel like yeah like Family Guy they did that with Brian and Stewie uh, there oh, was God. I think Jimmy oh, yeah. Neutron and Fairly Odd Parents did that also Billy and Mandy did that as well so you know it, it's not new everybody loves it but I think that's all based on like the strengths of the characters yes because like yes this particular trope's been done before. But not with our characters, not with our sensibilities of writing. So I think that's what makes it a little more entertaining and different than it's just like, oh, you're just doing this plot line again. Yeah. No, and I, and I like that we get that sort of standpoint of it and having Pinky and the Brain running around in, in the random Santa's village and doing that. I, I also just love the, just the ways they poke fun at, at the myth. Like my, my favorite line in this old special was the, the, the one Italian elf going um there's somebody saying to the elf uh, shotzi santa's about to leave and he can't remember the thing he says like how do you forget that how do you forget ho 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 all right but yeah no i i liked the the christmas tone they had here and i liked i honestly think the gag mentality was really strong all yeah. throughout as well oh yeah oh my god yeah it was so my favorite line and it, it honestly my favorite during the entire thing it's just like it's in the beginning, when, and and they're like, also this is unusual for bringing the brand. I think they do cutaway gags. So, so, so speaking of a uh, <laughs> uh, family guy, they they do cutaway gags. Like yeah, remember that one time he, he tried to be a mall Santa? And it's just like a small brain, and Santa's like sit on my lap, fat kid. Poof, it's like ah, and then there's and there's one where like Penny's about to say, mm-hmm. oh oh, and remember when we traveled in time back to Bethlehem? And <clears throat> enough, no. Oh my god, please do that! Yeah. I would gladly love to see Pinky and the Brain in Bethlehem. Pinky and the Brain meet Jesus coming to a television near you. Yeah. Sure. Oh my god. The, the comedy, it, it, it writes itself. It really they, does. They, they, kidnap the, they kidnap the three wise men. Like, yeah. okay, now where do we go? The star. We did that plot line already. What the hell? You mean another star? There was there was strong gag stuff the whole time, and I liked that they obviously had an end game in mind and an end goal with this this really sweet ending, and they they were able to pepper that in 
in between the gags, in between what they were also trying to do with Santa's workshop. Mm -hmm. And this is a really well-constructed story and a well-constructed um, just comedy special in general. Yeah. I was looking for the line that, cause I was like, there was one line that I, that I thought was pretty funny, but I was like, I was looking for it. And it was a line where uh, he says, it's like at the beginning where he's, where he's uh, controlling Pinky and he's like impersonate William F. Buckley. And he's like, oh, oh yes. what? And then he's like impersonate Regis Philbin. And then he's able to do it. And I'm like, that was me. Cause when he said William F. Buckley, I was, I was watching. And I was like, what? How? How is that a joke? And then he's like, "Do Regis Philbin?" And then, it, and then I'm like, "Oh, I get it. It's a joke." <laughs> I. <laughs> yeah, William F. Buckley is one of the guys that Robin Williams did an impression of as the genie in Aladdin. Uh, almost. There are a few uh, provisos, a, a couple of quid pro quo. He, he was well, he was in Robin Williams's repertoire. He he, ho he hosted a um, uh, political discussion show, and he was this, this fast talking, stuck up ass that that always. It, 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 Robin Williams did a perfect impression of it. But yes, I get that kids in the 90s did not get this. So thank God for Regis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just doing it. I'm out of control. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of even in a... Because I think that's also somewhere in like like topical uh, cartoons from, like, from the 90s. Is like even... There's sometimes where even I as an adult, I'll go back and watch some things. And there's jokes that like... I still don't get what that means. Like I'll watch early family guy and they'll make a joke mm. about, uh, he'll make a reference to some sitcom or some actor from the eighties. I'm like, I still, as someone who has a deep pop culture knowledge, I don't know what this is. <laughs> yeah, Seth, Seth went to obscure a lot of the time. Um, and I will say like one of the, one of the great things about, the Pinky and the Brain writers, the animatics writers, is that they would do, they would pepper in these these really obscure things that the kid would fly over the kids' heads and, and adults watching would go, wait, did they really just get away with that? Like the Donner party line in this. Look, Brain, the reindeers are inviting elves to join them for a party at Donner's house. Hmm. Somehow the idea of joining the Donner party is unappealing. No kid is going to go, I get it. But, you know, they will when they watch it 20 years later. Yeah, no kid's going to go, cannibalism, yeah. In due time. Honestly, if you are a child watching this and you go, that joke's hilarious. Um, put that kid into a therapy session, maybe yes. just in case. I don't know. Just to be safe. But... <laughs> now, if you were a kid watching this, you were you were the real aristocrat. You were wearing a monocle. <laughs> <laughs> Going, ah, yes, the good stuff. <laughs> you know, the sparkling... Uh, Sparkling yeah. juice, please. No, I, I most of, of what this special is able to do, especially in, the, in terms of the comedy, especially in what is a like a traditional Pinky and the Brain episode, I think it really accomplishes. And that's, and that's the one thing that I, at least going into this, I, I was thinking, I was like, okay, so plot wise, this is par for the course for Pinky and the Brain. This is not something that's a way too convoluted or way too inspired sort of plot. All right, this is a pretty standard Pinky and the Brain plot, pretty standard way of going about it. There's nothing too off the wall about this. And what it really makes this stand out is both the execution and ultimately a lot of what happens in the last third, which honestly, yeah, not to foreshadow my thoughts on the ending uh, too much, but the last third, I think, is gives up most of the, the, the goodwill I have for this, this episode. I already really like this, this episode. The last third, I think, elevates it to... A, a very an even big better degree. So, so okay, first of all, the the moment where 
because they have to sneak back Jack Me Labs. So they're like, okay, what am I going to do? No, no, in any other plot line, it would be like, oh, we'll just hop into the bag yeah. and say, we'll just. No. no. They take up two of the reindeer no. slots. No. So there's just this shot, Casual. this panning shot of just going, it's like rainy, rainy, reindeer. And then it's just Pinky in the brain. And my nostalgia brain went, wait, I know that shot. That shot, I, it was in, okay, okay, okay. Mike, you know all about these like old commercials from VHS tapes. The shot of Pinky in the brain as reindeer. Was that in like a WB ad that played on on a Space Jam VHS or something? I mean, I'd never really dug into looking into like that because uh, I, I again, this is not really the area of like when I was a kid, like watching this type of nostalgic media. So yeah. I wouldn't have recognized it from there. But I definitely, I've definitely seen the image of Pinky and the Brain as the reindeer at some point somewhere. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Because it's a funny visual. It is actually. Yeah. It's <laughs> Yes, they just fly over the entire world as these toys of Brain's invention get sent to every single house because they mess with the mailing system. It's like, yeah, every child wants this Brain toy. And they just, they fall in. And in a odd sense of the raising of the stakes, and I think, Jordan, you'll let this slide for one because I know how Absolutely. much you need the raising of the stakes. If it's natural, then it works. And this was absolutely natural. It's like, okay, we have five seconds to rebuild this. I'm like, okay, that's great. This makes it, like, shit gets real and in the best ways possible. Because, like, it it's, it's dramatic. There's tension. He's, he's There's tension. to spread off his brow trying Rain, to get this done. It's, it's Rain is being mean to Pinky in a way where it's not funny. It's yeah. just real. Yeah. It's like, Pinky, I really cannot do this right now. Please go to your station. It's like, the letter's like, stop the damn letter. Give me that. Do it. It's like, he's pissed. He's legitimately pissed for the first time ever, I think, in, in this comedy show about two lab mice. And um, it's as they're about to go live through the entire world, which... Ha, the climax of this involves an Orson Welles-type character doing a broadcast that's heard all around the world. Ah. I just hope those poor children in Ecuador didn't get hurt. <laughs> the, the, Mark is referring to something we dug up in and on this day a while ago where apparently yeah. they, they tried <laughs> War of the Worlds in Ecuador and they did like a broad uh, like a version of the War of the Worlds radio broadcast in Ecuador and people that didn't know that it was a joke ended up burning down a radio station and there were casualties. So, and we unearthed that and we were reading this like as we were recording and it was one of the most horrifying things. Like, okay, we have to do this comedy podcast now and, and talk about that. Yeah, uh, all the fun stuff that you you dig up that you never that you never would have known that you never knew. <laughs> it's like if you didn't have the yeah. show, you would never known about this weird thing that happened in the world uh, at the same time. <laughs> that's that's the thing about doing this podcast. We've learned too much. Oh my god! So they're about to go live. It just brains like, oh god damn it! Okay, what's in this freaking letter? All right, your Santa Narf. Yeah, okay, sure, fine. Uh, and, <laughs> letter, and, and it, essentially, it's it's Pinky going, listen, I don't want anything from you, 
give a gift to the brain. Give all this because he tries so hard every single year to take over the world. And it's it's so good. And Maurice LaMarche does an amazing performance of this of this ma- mouse who's just really stressed out reading this, being incredibly upset about this great thing his friend wants to do for him. And he was just yelling at him the entire time. Just to show a point. And then what the line that kills him is... P.S. By any chance do you have in that big old bag of yours the world? It's it's very cute. And it's, damn it. It's effective. It's one of those things where like... like it is completely understandable if, if you if you get a little teary eyed during it because it's a really effective moment. Not only just in in how the episode builds towards it, but also just how the actors play it. How it feels like the series has built towards it. How we finally get this moment where Brain is about to get what he's always wanted, and he's so overcome with emotion that he can't bring himself to actually sink it in. And you just, I, I, I love the bit where he's about to literally, you know, do whatever he wants to hypnotize the people of the world, and he can't do it. He's, he's just, the, the emotion gets to him as it should, and he just, he caves and he, and he has everyone <laughs> hypnotizes everyone into having a merry Christmas, which is the single most wholesome thing. The most evil mouse in the world actually has this wholesome wants for people because of what he's finally noticed about his friend, and it's, it's. It's a, it's the best kind of subversion. It's not the kind of ending you would expect going into a peeking in the brain cartoon, but it's like how do you not love that? It's 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 the most wholesome subversion possible. Yeah, I thought that that was uh, a, one like the area that I think for me, like as I was watching it, I was like, okay, I don't really care. I don't really I'm not really big into peeking the brain. Never really watched it much. But I feel like that that singular moment was a thing that I felt like I understand the character relationship. And like seeing how he, you know, felt about uh, like the very honest thing that is that uh, this, you know, this dumb idiot who's always bothering him. Uh, like when he's, it's. I, I feel like I see that in like you know, you see that in SpongeBob whenever like Squidward ever you know ref, like recognizes any sort of like you know sentimentality towards SpongeBob, where it's like all oh, the the cynical curmudgeon was finally able to you know. Sh- like you know show his uh his softer side and you know be uh and you know give up something uh for his it's kind of like in the spongebob christmas special when mm. uh squidward yes. you know makes that big gesture to make spongebob happy yeah yeah the, the spongebob christmas special is really well done oh it's that's definitely one that that still holds up yeah, today it's, absolutely it's yeah, it's Oh, it's it's like a mandatory viewing, like even more so for than Rudolph and Charlie Brown to be. <laughs> oh my God, yeah! Like, it, 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 like over the years, I just kind of lost interest in watching the Rankin Bass stuff. Uh, I'm just like, okay, I'm I, I'm kind of done with this. You know, I, I'll watch these again when when if I were to have kids, like I'll watch it with them, give them because like. Cause like I, I see in stores now they have like a, like a, a fifteen volume Rankin Bass played Rankin Bass collection on Blu-ray. They they remastered all of them. And okay. I'm like, like I'm sure for like animation history and everything, it's really good that it's here. I'm just thinking for the average consumer, I'm like, it makes it would make more sense to buy the Peanuts one honestly than it would yeah. for the Rankin Bass yeah. ones, in my opinion. Yeah. But you know, people have nostalgia for that. So. Oh, oh, you don't know my friend. I have a friend who 
Uh, he does own, I think, owned a DVD box set of all of the Rankin Bass specials, and oh. uh, every every Christmas or so, those get those get brought out, and yeah, like to him, like that was his thing. So like that was like you know we he would we would get together and watch those every year. So it it is uh, it does come in handy, uh, especially in in that regard. I take I take back my my previous remark. <laughs> I take it back. I mean, everybody has their their Christmas traditions, you know. Everybody, you know, I, yeah. I have various. Well, <laughs> you know. next year we'll have the Rankin Bass uh, cover coverage. We'll have you know, you yeah. have three different oh, segments no. about different Rankin Bass Christmas specials. Make up for I'll, it. I'll do a year without. We'll do a year oh without God. a Santa Claus. Sure, fine. <laughs> I guess that's happening. Um, you know, but. But oh, yeah, man, no. dude, if, if our audience loved the Columbo episode, oh, they're going to adore us covering Rankin Bass. Yeah. Mike, I don't know if you heard about that, but back in October, we threw our fans for a loop for, for a Columbus Day episode. We just broke character and did an episode of Columbo, and it was amazing. Columbo Day. We had a lot of fun recording it. Yeah. The listens are not there. Hey. It's very clear from, from the listens on my legs. I'm like, oh, nobody really paid attention to this. But God damn it, we had fun. So, you know, that's all, that's all that matters, really. You're eventually going to take this into being just Looney Tunes podcast, and it's going to branch out to just being any old-timey cartoon. All right, I'll do some Popeye, sure. Fine. Yeah. Gertie the Dinosaur, let's Get go. Get some Betty Boop. <laughs> Get some Betty Boop in there. Yo, yeah, Betty sure. Boop. Like get yeah. some classic Betty Boop in there. Yeah, let's let's just sort of just wade around all the racist ones, and 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 we'll have a good time. Yeah, when you when oh, you get man. any Tom and Jerry uh, specials, then then call me. I'll be the, I'll be the expert on that. Uh, that is actually the next because we're, we're doing um, Hanna Barbera uh, commentaries on every other month now. The, 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 that's our new like bi monthly yeah. show, and. We're doing the '90s Tom and Jerry movie is the one we're doing. Oh then. God, I would like I you know I haven't signed up the Patreon yet. I'm like you know what I really should like because uh, I mean you guys oh. supported us for as long as we did on on our shows, and I saw that you guys did a Toy Story commentary recently, and I'm like oh that I we should did. at least I should definitely jump yeah, on we... top of. <laughs> Yeah, that I wouldn't even I won't even need the movie alongside it. Like I yes. I could picture the movie in my head while listening to you guys. <laughs> No, I we, we we both really adore that movie as well, and hopefully we gave it some justice when we did the commentary of it. Yeah. But um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, where where were we where were we even going before we did all we're that? We're at the ending yeah, we of the, the episode, end. and, and we were talking about how the ending was good and how I like that it's just like um, I also just really like the end of it where after this really wholesome moments with with um, Pinky's letter. The first thing that we see after the whole emotional moment is excited when they give each other Christmas presents. And in response to the letter, Brain gives Pinky a spell checker. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. Ten out of ten. I, uh, I, yeah, you know, I, I didn't put that together. That sucks. Mm-hmm. Neither um, did I, honestly. A backhanded compliment in the best way. I love that. Yeah, but I did think it was cute when uh, what was it? The Pinky gave him uh, the little planet organ ornament. I love that. Yeah. yeah. A really sweet ending. And uh, it's, it's one of the few Pinky in the Brains that doesn't end with, you know, we got to prepare for tomorrow. What's tomorrow? The same thing we do every day. You know, we try and take over the world, yada, yada. But yeah. um, because of the really sweet tone that we end with, we don't really need it. We just assume, okay, well, they're going to try again tomorrow anyway, but they're just going to sit on 
they're going to just bask in this really good feeling for a little bit and then worry about tomorrow, yeah. which is a little better. Yeah. And I, I do love just Pinky, like, as they're fading out. She's like, that necessary yeah like, very it's just, silly just, you always got to end it with a joke and yeah. send them out on, on, on a good on a good on a good gag so that's a lot of good gag i do like the way that they like christmasify the uh the the theme song on the oh, intro and outro so that too where there's, there's snow in there and there's there's little bells and little motifs of christmas songs i, I like that a lot they change the lyrics to be yes. more jolly i like that is, which adds always an extra effort. Cause listen, anyone who's like, "Oh, you know, what we'll do for our Christmas episode. We'll just add jingle bells to the theme. That's enough. That is lazy and should be admonished to anybody." And yeah. I'm totally gonna no, they, do that they, for in this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, they they go the extra mile, and they, I, I like the little line they add in there. You know, they'll they'll um, what is it? they'll control the earth and and bring joy to the world. So they're just just a cheap. I the day is done. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are also some jokes here that I, I did really like. Here, I did like uh, during <laughs> during the there's a chase sequence between Ping and the Brain and the elves with all the toys, and I do love just they go into the the RC car and they crash and then little airbags pop out. Very silly. No, no, there, there's lots of little jokes that are just really good in this. And oh, there's one question I have. There's one question I have here. Who is Herschel the Hanukkah gremlin or goblin? Oh, who is that? Herschel the Where's his? Where's his Rankin Bass special? I want the Herschel the Hanukkah. <laughs> yes, we go on a limb and say who is he? I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess probably an offensive stereotype. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, we don't show that special anymore. It's like he. Yeah. Hanukkah Goblin. Uh, how many times do we have to tell you, J.K. Rowling? They don't like that either. Um, yeah. So, Damn it. anyway, do we want to head? Anywho. Do we want to head, head towards uh, final thoughts and final analogy? Mike, do you have any, any, any more uh, comments at that uh, about the special? Any thoughts? Yeah, I. Even as somebody who I never really watched Pinky the Brain, don't really have a connection to like the show much. I think that as an episode, I think it works as like a standalone Christmas special, and it's something that you know it has some some decent you know funny jokes throughout. Um, I would say though that like Pinky as a character, I think can be a bit annoying, and especially, like, at the beginning of the episode where he's running around and la-la-la and, 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 like, his, his, you know, big exaggerated voice and can get a little irritating, but um, the fact that they were able to, like, turn it around at the end and make, like, you know, have a heartfelt moment between this this dumb character and uh, the the other, uh, and his partner, I was like, you know what, that was, that was a, a real, you know, an impressive feat, so I, I'd give it credit there. Absolutely. It's yeah. I don't know if it's going to be like a, a, a holiday classic for me. I watched it this year. I'm like, oh, that was pretty good. I mean, I I'll, maybe it'll end up in the rotation at some point, but like you know, it's not going to be one of my highest priorities. Okay. Just because you know, I have I have my own traditions that I've built up through over right, the years yeah. that like you know are more important to me. Of course, yeah. We we all got our our backlog of Christmas stuff. You yeah. know, I've got my Home Alone too. I've got my uh, 
various other stuff that I'm not thinking of at the moment because it's November. Elmo, yo, Muppet, Muppets, fa- yo, Muppets Family Christmas. I was gonna say That's Muppet right. Christmas Carol, but yeah, yeah. Muppets, yeah well, no, yeah, but, but yo, next year the the three you do for, you should do the Elmo Saves Christmas, the Muppets Family Christmas, find another Muppet, and then Muppets Christmas Carol. That should be the yes, the, yes. Mike. I have been looking for an excuse to cover do an all Muppets thing on this show. Yeah, that's actually really good. Yeah. Sure. Well, oh, I know that's. I, I, yeah. I, I would do that. Yeah, I know that's your favorite thing. Yeah, but <laughs> it's that. Listen, being a fan of both those things, of both that and the Looney Tunes, is hell because they're like two of the most beloved things I love. They keep and taking them away from us fucked. more and more. So. Like they keep getting fucked. <laughs> But, yeah, and they're also they they make terrible new iterations of it all the time, yeah. and it's like just let it be this old antiquated thing from back when, and when it was wholesome and pure, and it wasn't corroded by capitalist corporations. Yeah. Exactly, the Legions could really afford not to be under capitalist control at the moment, but we're not we're not going to reference that yeah. anyways. Anyways, this is one of those episodes that's like you've always heard is like really good it's like oh no this is like a really classic episode of pinging the brain can't watch any pinging the brain watch this and i kind of feel a little bit strange like oh like this is what got me to finally watch pinging the brain christmas but as i finally able to watch it i can totally see why this would be considered one of the best episodes of pinging the brain there's a fantastic comedy writing great gags um maurice lamarce rob paulson putting their all into it in the dramatic moments. I, I I think I think I read somewhere that like Maurice doing this performance at the end of the brain is kind of what helped him in, in doing the brain going forward of going like, yes, he finds Pinky annoying, but there's a love there. Some people may have taken that the wrong way, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Or the right way. We're not here to judge. <laughs> but yeah, like there's always like a deep love and admiration that Brain has for Pinky because, you know, he's the only one he's got to help him take over the world. He can't do it by himself. He needs someone. He needs a tall, lanky goofball to get his job done. Anyway, Don't you, Mark? Jordan, what are your thoughts on the special? <laughs> <laughs> we both knew you were going there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny because for most of its runtime, this is a very basic Pinky the Brain cartoon with a very basic Pinky the Brain story. It's the third act that makes this so much better because, again, everything I talked about, about Brain having the opportunity to do what he's always wanted to do and being so overcome with emotion and guilt that he can't do it. It's the one time Brain actually acts in the name of good on purpose and it doesn't feel shoehorned in for the Christmas theme. Uh, probably one of the greatest endings to an episode in the show's history and a capper on a really solid Pinky in the Brain episode, which, I again, the, the gag work is really good. Uh, it's it, it understands what works about Christmas specials, what works about Christmas in general. Um, it succeeds at a lot of stuff, but really sticks the landing, and that reflects highly in my final animal rating of it. But, um, yeah, no, I really like this one. Also, something to point out here is that... Uh, TMS um, Animation, who was a very prominent animation studio in the 90s, um, this is their only Pink in the Brain project. And you can you can tell. It's it very, very solid animation throughout. Yeah, no, they were great. <laughs> but they're all into it. 
that to me as a as an animation fan is one of the most disheartening things to realize is that we're probably never going to get an actual 2D animated cell shaded hand drawn show ever again. Yeah. It's too expensive, man. Yeah. But look how well we had it, you know. Uh yeah. All right. Uh final animal ratings. Who would like to go first? What are the ratings out of? Is it like out of five? Right? Out of five. Yeah. Out of five. One you hated it, five you adored it. <laughs> I'm gonna go give it I'm gonna go give it a solid three and a half. Uh I think it's totally enjoyable, very cute, fun. Not from a show that like, you know, I, I hold dear or anything like that, but it was something that like, you know, I was able to jump in and get the idea and and, and you know, I had some 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 laughs and uh it was and and it had some heart. So I think that, you know, clears clears the bar for a a good better than average Christmas episode. <laughs> now, Mike, would you watch more Pinky in the Brain after watching this episode? I mean, I don't know. This this is a type of show that feels like it has its repetitive concept uh, every time where I'm just like, all right, what's the, this next episode is going to be another big scheme of how we're going to take over the world. And I'm like, all right, I don't really know how many times I need to see that. That's <laughs> my animal rating for me. I'm going to give this animal rating a four out of five animals. I think this is a very strong pain in the brain episode and, and definitely a Christmas episode that I would put into my rotation. And... I know that we didn't do this in this order on purpose, but uh, I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5 animals because I really enjoyed this one. I really love the ending, and I think it just really holds up as one of the, the best achievements that this crew did during the Pinky in the Brain era, as opposed to the Animaniacs era. So, no, I, I think it's a smashing success. As opposed to the Pinky, Omara, and the Brain era. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll cover that in, like, 2077 or whatever. Um... <laughs> all right so mike before we let you go what is because you you brought up how you have a lot of uh, traditions around around the holidays so what is a tradition of yours around the holidays that you'll be willing to share with us well uh so like i said recording it way earlier than than in than december so i haven't really gotten into my my holiday groove yet but, I mean, I always do make an attempt to watch, yeah, the Spongebob Christmas episode. Um, but overall, I think the most important one to me is the Hey Arnold's Christmas episode. I will, and I usually will save that for either either Christmas Eve late at night or, like, I'll watch it early on Christmas morning, um, like, if I, like, if I'm up. Because that, I'm like, that is the capper. That is, like, the the most heartfelt like you know special christmas uh feels episode and i think that that one is my favorite personal one so that is one that i always try to try to savor all right so uh, again mike i uh, thank you so much for coming on um how are things over at cinema marketing so right now we are in a little bit of a transitionary period. Uh, content is a little bit scarce, but we do always at least try to stay up to date monthly with the market research episodes where me, Lewis, and Ant 
we'll get together. We talk about the movies that we watched that month, the new trailers that we saw. We just had a good one for the the October where we talk about all the Halloween horror movies that we watched. <laughs> we saw on the same day on Halloween, we watched in theaters, we watched Five Nights at Freddy's and Dawn of the Dead. So we oh. talk about that. We talk about we went to go see The Nightmare Before Christmas in 4DX and how the uh, the experience of seeing a 4DX movie like literally like beat beat the shit out of us and, and like haunted us. Uh, so yeah, we have a lot of fun talking about that. But yeah, so that yeah, you can listen to us over there. I'm on t- we're on TikTok uh, on Cinema Marketing Podcast on TikTok. I try to take uh, any you know fun bits that we have and make little TikToks out of them. Uh, I haven't been you know keeping up with that as much, but. Yeah, I try to, you know, I try to like at least expand over there. We're at least able to get a lot more interaction on there now that Twitter is dead. So we can, you know, that's kind of my main social media posting is on uh, is on TikTok. TikTok content's fun. Uh, yeah, I, I'm making some TikTok stuff for, for our show and it's been, uh, it, it's been great because uh, now that we do uh, video stuff, it's a lot more fun to be like, oh, here's, as I'm just hearing us lose our shit you can see us lose our shit and it's it adds another dimension yeah and see the thing that caused you to do that also put the video of the actual episode yeah see the facial expression or or see the 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 moment where i knew i I, the 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 best thing when you're doing a podcast with somebody on the video feeds or on the moment where you know that you've got somebody else where you you've got them cracking up yeah it's like like that's always the best uh, Mike, thanks so much for coming on, dude. Thank you again for having me on, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas and a happy November. Now, uh, Mike, <laughs> if you could, could you pretend you're leaving during a snowstorm? <laughs> oh, I gotta go. Let me bundle up and, and trek back out through the snow uh, from whence I came. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> careful out there i didn't i have nowhere else to go <laughs> i will say a christmas follow-up question because or holiday follow-up question because and and and, and this may not work and you can cut this if it doesn't okay. but um because i, I want to make sure people aren't exactly left out uh of the conversation so i'm talking about um you know christmas activities what is your go-to christmas chinese food order <laughs> If it doesn't work, we'll cut it. It's fine. No, no, no. no it's absolutely <laughs> fair. So pretty much what my Christmases would be was, you know, we go to the movies. You know, it usually it will be like lately it's been like the newest um, Illumination movie. Because I'm yeah. really into those. They're so always like, out on Christmas. So like when this comes out, I'm at the theater watching um, Illumination's Migration, pretty much, yeah. yeah. And you're probably seeing Wonka, because uh, I know you, you, you want to see that movie. I got to see it at some point, man. I got to find time to break out and see it, because I want to see that friggin' movie. And hopefully by the time this goes out, I will have seen it, and I will hopefully have enjoyed it, because it is right up my silly twee alley. But um, <laughs> I know I'm a dweeb. My, my go-to Chinese food order, Jorn, is going to a buffet located in the Tri-State oh. area. But that's pretty much okay. what we've been doing the, the past couple of years. We've been going to to to, to, a, to a Chinese buffet because yes, they upcharge on Christmas, but also Chinese buffets rock. They're really good. They do. They're they awesome. Do. It's one of those things where if you can find one in the wild, it's worth it. Like mildly related anecdote: my dad 
uh, was once, I believe, doing something in Vegas or something. And uh, an uncle of ours um, was doing, an, an uncle of ours is a professional Scrabble player. And there will be tournaments in Vegas or something. So he, my dad ran into him in Vegas and he's like, oh, I, I know just the place. There's a Chinese buffet in one of the casinos. Let's go. So even he scouts out places for Chinese buffets. So if you can find a good one, you latch onto that and you just, you stick with it. So yeah, I, to be honest, we're not really the, the big Chinese buffet people. We will get like, you know, we will find our haunts. Like just last night, actually, we, we went out and got um, Chinese takeout because there's a place by us that does really friggin' good wonton soup and really good lo and some of the best stuff. If you, if you find your haunts, you stick to it. Yeah. Though I will say, because um, I I do have like an order that I do when I go to a Chinese buffet, mm. and usually what it is, it's like you know you get the soup first, and then what I do is I go for the American foods first because it's just weird enough. So usually, usually I'll get like I'll get like like the steamed potatoes and not the pizza. The pizza was a kid me thing. You don't go for the pizza. The pizza is no. terrible. But, you know, yeah, I can't go for that. And then I'll, I'll, I usually I usually do, like, a chicken dish. I just cook, like, all the different types yeah, of chicken of and put it over rice. It's really good. Can't really go wrong. Though I will say, um, my go-to Chinese food order in general, and it's funny because I was actually thinking of getting this tonight, <laughs> um, it is uh, General Tso's chicken. That's my go-to. Very nice. You know, I'm, I'm not a... I'm, I don't have a lot of experience with General Tso's, so you got to be careful. There, there is such thing as bad uh, General Tso's. I went to a mall by my work, and because like okay. I, I always get the bourbon chicken, but then one time I'm like, I'll have the General Tso's, and it was awful. It, it was okay. it was not good. So like it really doesn't find yeah. the place, but. Uh, but yeah. Like last night, last night on, on this place that we love, we, we took a flyer on the cashew chicken. It was actually really damn good. Mm. Like I would get it again. So yeah, we have very good Chinese food luck around here. And, and yes, I know not everywhere is the Northeast. Not everywhere is, is <laughs> we, we, we have good Chinese food where we, we live. We but do. like hopefully, hopefully you, you've got some good stuff wherever you're listening to us. So I figured I didn't want anybody to be left out. That's fair. That's fair, man. All right. Moving to the third segment of our Wonderful, very merry Christmas shenanigans. We have uh, yet another special gift. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Oh my god, that is so, that dedication. See, I had to. <laughs> that is dedication. And <laughs> yes, to the audio listeners, there is a uh, Christmas sleigh what shirt that Jonathan is wearing. Not to spoil who our uh, last guest is, but I might as well spoil it anyway. Jonathan, great, wonderful. Uh, of course, you realize this means podcast. Thank you for coming on. It's good to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to come to your show and to talk Looney Tunes. So yes. let's get into it. Yes. All right. Mark, what's the third one we have on the docket? So the third episode that we are covering today in our Merry Holiday Special is the most recent one. It's from the Looney Tunes show, the Cartoon Network's Looney Tunes show, titled A Christmas Carol. Featuring Carol. Yes. <laughs> Who knew? Yes. Featuring <laughs> Carol spelled C-A-R-O-L. That sums up what they're going for here. Before before we get into it, I didn't have any background with this special, with this with this episode. Mark, did you? Because I know Jonathan may have had some. 
No. Okay. No. I I was a very again the, the funny thing about the LinkedIn show for me is that I was watching Cartoon Network when the LinkedIn show was on, but I barely paid attention to it. I, I had much more, more more entertaining cartoons to watch at that time than the LinkedIn yeah, show. Yeah, I caught the odd episode, but that was basically it. Yeah, same here. And this wasn't on my radar when it came out for sure. I don't even believe I heard about it, which is on par for Warner Brothers marketing. Well. But <laughs> <laughs> I will say that I revisited it a couple of years ago for the first time, and I didn't hate it. That's what I'll say. Yeah. I didn't hate it. It has some moments. It's, it's different. Oh, obviously, obviously. Like the entire show is built around this premise of just let Kristen Wiig be Kristen Wiig and she'll maybe write her own dialogue. It's, I mean, <laughs> like, that's the one thing goes. that helps and hurts this show is it's basically more a Groundlings project than a Looney Tunes project where you have all these writers totally. and, and people from the Groundlings Theater in LA, like Ben Falcone and Annie not yeah, I think Annie Momo did some and uh, Rachel Ramers and all those people like that. Yeah, she took over for, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the duck character name. Tina? <laughs> Daffy's love interest. Yes, Tina, Tina Russo. Yeah. We, we've covered it a couple of times on the show, and it, it's, it's, it works more often than it doesn't, in our opinion, but it, there is just this weird like mesh between it's trying to be a regular cartoon sitcom versus it's trying to occasionally do loony things. It's, it's an odd little thing they're doing here. But yeah, no, we've been liking what we've been doing, seeing from it. And, and this episode, I think, Mark, you picked it just because it had the Christmas connection, <laughs> because it's just called A Christmas Carol. Just because it's a Christmas connection. It's called A Christmas Carol. And so my first my first reaction when I saw this title was, okay, sure, there's another Looney Tunes product that does A Christmas Carol. Why not? They've done it twice already. What's a third time? And I had the summary of it. I'm like, what? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> what? Oh, this doesn't sound the greatest <laughs> it's 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 very cynical yeah. from a plot summary i'm like that's a very cynical sort of christmas thing i don't know how they're gonna make it work and uh so it starts out with all the characters in a heat wave during the winter season and everybody is not feeling the christmas spirit until lola has this idea to put on a play and originally she was going to put on cats, which I, I <laughs> think that might have been better. <laughs> yeah. Get Idris, and get Bugs, Jason Derulo, you know. <laughs> Bugs tells her that she should put on a Christmas carol, to which she responds in a very Lola way for this show. I don't know what that is. <laughs> so then she has to go learn what a Christmas carol is. And I don't think she got past the, the cover of the book because I, I think she just read... A Christmas Carol, and then wrote her own version, um, to which Bugs responds multiple times, poor old Charles Dickens <laughs> rolling around in his grave. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's <sighs> you know it's got all of the characters. Uh, Daffy and Foghorn are on their side quest to try to save Christmas by going and finding Santa. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's it's cute. It's got the Christmas spirit. It's got... Wow. A really Does fun song though? at the end. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's there. It's in there. It's, it feels <laughs> it's it's ham, it's hamfisted in there. It, it yeah. feels like what, what this came about was that like they had a season two all assembled, and then Cartoon Network said, "Okay, 
do a Christmas episode as well. And they're like, all right, we'll, we'll throw something together. And because a, a lot of pieces of this script are like, okay, Absolutely. we're trying to do a Christmas episode, but we don't like, it, it doesn't feel intrinsic. It feels like, okay, this is, you know, Christmas wins in the end. And then, you know, this, this is because, you know, this is what even like, there's pieces of it. There, there's pieces that don't fit together. Like the, the, and the one thing is the, the very first thing you mentioned in the summary is the fact that like, okay, there's a heat wave in December. Now I don't want to speak I don't want to speak like I know how everything is in the West Coast all the time, but having a, a relatively hot Christmas isn't exactly out of the realm of possibility, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. It's yeah. been very warm here, uh, yeah. upwards of in the 80s for Christmas. I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm say, them saying like 104 is you know maybe a reach, but like the writers should be like they should know that that really doesn't stop a Christmas from being merry. I mean, obviously, you know, it doesn't make a Christmas less merry if it's happening in 80 degree weather in California versus if it's happening in the middle of a snowstorm in, in, in Philadelphia. Yeah, sure. I, I would just, you know, add to that. I think having a warm Christmas story is a little different than what we've had before. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of people are just accustomed to seeing snow and, you know, the winter clothes during a Christmas, anything special TV moment, like, you know, an episode of a TV show. Uh, so I think it was unique in that respect. So I would give them a little bit of props for making that part different, but yeah. agreed that the spirit would still be there in a different way. And I feel that's the one thing that they do kind of miss out on uh, throughout this whole episode. They're kind of treating it like it's a regular Looney Tunes show episode. And listen, we've let the Looney Tunes show episodes where, uh, again, go, before, we, before we did the show, my impression of the Looney Tunes show was just, oh, it's just Seinfeld, but not funny with Looney Tunes characters. By doing this show and watching more episodes of the Looney Tunes show, I can say there are episodes of the show that are really funny, that take the characters into really cool and interesting places. This This episode right here exemplifies my initial reaction of the Looney Tunes show, is that this is just... I mean, I guess this, this is just like a bad sitcom plot, but the Looney Tunes yes. are in it. And for exactly. most of it, the Looney Tunes, except for Daffy and Foghorn, which I got to admit, they're the best part of this yeah, entire episode. But this whole A plot is just the Looney Tunes crew being mildly annoyed. And it's not as funny as the writing thinks it is. Yeah. Bugs has maybe a minute of being himself and the rest of this, he's just sort of like, like being a straight man or being annoyed at Lola or just like sort of being at the mercy of, of this plot, which if there's one thing you can say about Bugs Bunny, he is very rarely at the mercy of anything. He, he, he zigs in his own line and the cartoon has to follow in, in the best iterations. And even if he is at the mercy of something, he'll like, you know, poke fun at it or, or like, you know, zig it back. And here, Bugs is just going through the motions. And I, I wish that he wasn't. 100%. And that's, again, my issue with the show on a majority of it is Bugs is just going through the motions and dealing with the other characters' issues. And he's just there for some reason. It's like, why are you putting Bugs Bunny in this random like DMV situation where everyone's just waiting around and like you're smarter than everybody there and it's just a waste of time. It's like a waste of his time. It's a waste of the audience's time. And this is as very much in the same vein. It's just, you know, he apparently his caveat to 
leading the plot along is that he knows the script. So they don't have to like break to read pages of the script because he knows the script. It's like, okay, well, yeah, he's all knowing (laughs) in anything, but like that, that's not a plot device. Like that shouldn't be used in this way. Yeah. But I do like the moment whenever he has to act all the parts out. Like, I love you know, that's the best part. That's the best funny part. That's absolutely the best part. Because I thought that was going to be the ending yeah. that saves the day. And I thought that was going to be him that just sort of like, you know, that, that that brings back the true meaning of Christmas. But it turns out that's literally just a minute so we can get the actual rather ham-fisted um, moral that the <laughs> cartoon has for us where literal Santa comes down and, and tells us what. Santa ex machina. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Can you believe it? And. It, it it's it sucks because like that actor that plays Santa in this, they got Barry Corbin and he's, you know, character actor. He was in Northern Exposure. I, I think I know him best because he was in uh he was the general in forty eight uh, not uh war games. Uh he has the, the iconic oh, okay. line, uh I'd pitch on a spark plug if I see if that if if that if, to see if it worked. And which gets quoted a lot in my house. And, you know, great character actor. He's in, he's in everything. And he does a fairly good job as Santa. He makes it believable, but like I don't really like what he's saying. Do you have electrical issues in your house, <laughs> Jordan? It's it's about it's about like problem solving. It's it's more. Oh, okay. Well, to be fair, a couple weeks ago, you lose power like twice in a week, so like you're not that far off. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Somebody starts drinking water. <laughs> You'll know why. <laughs> uh, the old Barry Corbin rule at it again. Uh, <laughs> He's fine. It's just, I'm just gonna nod along and pretend I understand all these references. I'm sorry. <laughs> yep. Mark, watch War Games. It's great. Um, but the really funny the the video that Daffy comes back with to show Congress yes. that or the, oh the committee that Santa that. is real and he's just interacting with some polar bears. But in, <laughs> I saw the lap of a polar bear. That was my favorite reveal. <laughs> in our mind, like. In our viewpoint, we saw him, you know, interacting with Santa and at the North Pole and everything. And yeah. then the rug pull happens, which I thought was really funny. Um, so, yeah, those little moments, you know, like th- those kind of save it for me. Exactly. And, and that plot has a lot of the best energy of this because, honestly, Foghorn and Daffy actually bounce off each other really well. And I like this version's incarnation of Foghorn because he's allowed to be more full of himself and more like they've finally done it they've allowed foghorn leghorn <laughs> to be an asshole on purpose this time yeah they looked at their they looked at the original shorts and went okay he's kind of being an ass but they don't acknowledge he's an ass okay new direction he's the mayor so he's already kind of corrupt so it makes it easier for us to make jokes that makes him a little more slanderous mm-hmm. which honestly good that actually adds more personality to the character than the original crew ever did. Yeah, arguably. Sure. And even just the little things they do with Foghorn, like how he just like interrupts both him pulling a, a, a giant fan up a, up a mountain and jumping out of a plane with his usual I say. Ah! I say ah! I love that. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's what the, yeah, they're having yeah. fun with that. Jeff Bergman kills it as Foghorn uh, in any iteration of the character. And I, I would agree. I mean, Bob McKimson did 
as many of those foghorn shorts as we could stand back in the day. <laughs> and they just became so formulaic. Like you already knew what was going to happen before it even started. Yeah. And sometimes, and sometimes they would lose gas by the end of it. Oh, every time. By the end of it, just... Every time they would lose gas by the end of it, I would argue. I don't think there's a single foghorn short that you could pay me to watch where, where you would guarantee that I would laugh at the last joke. I don't think I've oh, ever no. laughed at the last no. joke. Yeah, they they run out of. They, we've covered a couple of them that have run out of steam, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, what can you do? But but yeah, no, it really works here, and I really like that B plot, and I just it makes you wish the A plot was stronger. And then so this is some. This, I want to connect it back to something you said before we went on, Jonathan, actually about Kristen Wiig using this as an excuse to vamp. And sure. I think that because this was a criticism a lot of people had around the same time as these were going out from what she was doing on Saturday Night Live, where she started off and she got a lot of airtime and she was doing really well with characters. And then after all, it just became like a lot of nonstop look at me type characters. And we were that, there. Yeah. We, we watched every single week live and, and it just devolved. It was very much, it, it very much got to a point we were going, Hey, there's a bunch of new people on the cast. Can we hear what they have to say? No, it, it was five more Christian sketches. The Christian Wake show, and it was yeah, it was really getting annoying. Yeah, but, but yeah, but with this, with this, there's one, there's one moment in here that I, I really did like, where um, there's a moment where she's giving the script to everybody, and they do the uh, the bit of like, oh, but who's to play Carol? Then Lowe's going me. Oh, no. I'm just the writer. I'm not an actor. Besides, Carol has a British accent that's essential to the role. And I couldn't possibly capture the many layers of Carol's intricate personality, the highs and the lows of her journey, her desperation, her fear, her strength, her courage. And I'm watching this going because uh, the, writers, the, writers of this ep- the writers of this episode, Hugh Davidson, Larry Dorff, Rachel, and Ramis, same writers who wrote Rabbit's Run, which we also weren't huge fans of, which also had Daffy be the best part of it in a Bugs and Lola thing. It's just kind of funny. Just, just Lola going, oh, but I'm just the writer. Just Rachel. <laughs> you see what you're doing. <laughs> Very cheeky. Look, Kristen is, she's a great Lola, but at the same time, when Lola is a lot, Kristen's also a lot. And sometimes like the episodes were, it's about Lola being a lot. Sometimes it drags back the rest of the action. And this episode is one of those. because And, and there are funny moments of that. There are moments where her ideas outweigh her grasp and, and things go wrong that, that, that do work. But it's just a lot of Kristen vamping and Kristen, you know, getting things wrong. And I don't know, because I like her in a lot of things, but just wishing it was different. Yeah, no, she definitely has an archetype around her. She definitely has a source of her comedy and it is more improv than most things. And when she's in a movie, they usually just let her go. And this yeah. was an opportunity for her to be in a show, and they let her go very much oh, as akin to The Office and Steve Carell as possible. And I feel like that was a huge influence on this too, especially yeah. within the casting of all of these comedians, because they were like, the Looney Tunes don't hold clout these comedians do. So let's usher in this new era of Looney Tunes with these comedians who are improv, full of improv backgrounds. I just feel like you lose the Looney Tunes. And like, it's like, you do. Yeah. But yeah. also like Looney Tunes are great. <laughs> like bring those back. There's, 
tug. It's just and yeah, the, the characters have to push and pull with the com- comedians around them, except for Jeff Bergman. And, um, wow. you know, I mean, and the old guard, you know, Bob Bergen's in there and, you know, uh, Eric Bowes is doing Marvin and, you know, but it's, it's too, too small of a role for them, you know, yeah. in, in this, in the grander scheme of things. And yeah, yeah. yeah that's why this series only got two seasons. <laughs> Ultimately. Yeah. Thankfully they wouldn't uh, do as much of the stunt casting in, in, in future prospect projects, but well, they haven't. Yeah. You know, yeah. so thankfully we have other things to look at. But I will say this uh, episode ends on a musical number, which yes. most of these shorts have these intervals with music musical numbers in them, and this one actually ends with their musical number, which is yeah, know, a yeah. ode to Christmas, and it is called mm-hmm. Christmas Rules. And I'm gonna just go down this list real quick and tell you songs that are better. And Christmas rules. Uh, have yourself a loony Christmas from the album Have Yourself a Loony Christmas. Uh, there's uh, <laughs> the Hallelujah Loony Chorus. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We need a little Christmas. The put up the tree before my spirit. Christmas chopsticks. Went down the chimney and did all his work, and filled all the stockings and turned with a jerk. Then and my favorite, which the Looney Tunes appear in her music video, "Put a Little Holiday in Your Heart" by Leanne Rhymes, <laughs> advertised in the Target commercial. That's a Target commercial, yeah. Yeah, but the full song is great too. <laughs> it is actually it, it, it is a really good song. I didn't agree with it's been that. a while since I've listened to it, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, the, this song. Listen, it's all right. The episode already wasn't winning me over. It wasn't. <laughs> the song doesn't do any favors for them either. <laughs> no. I mean, the song's good. Okay, the song's good for like two minutes, and then it keeps going. Christmas time is here. There's a tingle in the air. I sat on a park bench and froze my derriere. Stockings, drinking cocoa. OMG, it's snowing! Santa's bringing tons of loot. We got Christmas spirit blowing. It's the time of year we try to drop our negativity. I just dropped a glitter bomb to make the town more Christmassy. Christmas time can be so hectic. Shopping malls can be so rough. But it's the best of all the holidays because we can do stuff. I got sick on Halloween. New Year's was an awful thing. And Thanksgiving was a snow. Christmas, Christmas, we want more. You type by the fireplace. I am gonna stuff my face. Keeps going, and the one the one tidbit I would I would do is because listen, the the coda before the opening titles of this episode, it's kind of a dud. the The, the joke is that Lola is overdressed in like a hundred degree weather and is wearing all these coats that she faints because she's overheated or, or something. It's it's not funny. It doesn't put me in the mood. If they began it, which given it, it's a very holiday special trope like I'll begin with a song but it's a good trope it should have began with the song because one it would allow for the longer length because it's the opening it's supposed to be this big long bombastic thing and then you go into the the episode plot with some edits potentially but by the time we reach the end of this I'm just going 
Can't we just wrap it up? We got prep to do. I really don't want to be here any longer than I have to be. It's a very good point. It's, yeah, uh, structure your musical number at the beginning of the thing. I I would agree with that, and I think it would also help with getting you in this in the mood for something like this because exactly. it was so different than the other episodes leading into it, and yeah. for it to be, I think it was the season finale of that year, and so to end on that is uh, kind of weird. Am I wrong there? <laughs> I feel like um, it was a mid-season one. I know it's episode 10. It, it was it was a mid-season one, but it did oh, have the largest okay. number it did have the largest number of views with uh 2.013 million viewers. That spiked the viewership for Cartoon Network. All right. Cool. Yeah, but this is like 2010's Cartoon Network. They had a, they had Adventure Time and River <laughs> Show at this point. They were doing just fine. Okay. And quality content. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think you know because of the season they were searching out this type of material. So absolutely, yeah. Yeah, they needed like stuff to get like big viewership in, and it succeeded. Yeah, no, it's it's funny because you know the the one line I actually did like in the song was the um, the line uh, Daffy has about a Christmas wraith instead of a Christmas oh, yes. wreath, and we actually cut to an actual. This is like a comedy writer idea as well. It's just like a random, just mythical demonic being. Like, sure, fine. A little bit of chaos. You know what wreath sounds like? It sounds like wraith when Daffy says it. Let's just put a wraith in there. Okay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> let's let's hinge the joke on Jeff Bergman's Daffy accent. You know, let's, let's see if that works. It's a writer's room full of yes men. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like, this will work. Yeah, it'll work. Yeah. You know, I don't see anyone not laughing at that. You know. So <laughs> it's, it's yeah. lots of bits yeah. Um, one bit I did really like in this episode, though, was this is an, an odd runner because Daffy says at the beginning of the episode oh, because yeah. he's trying to go into the fridge, but yeah. he's going, "What the hell are you doing? Don't, don't do that. You're gonna, you're gonna die or something like that." And then we get this great line from Daffy of, "Plus, I've heard suffocating is the most pleasant way to go." Hmm. Wait. Or is it that suffocating is the worst way to go? Okay, that's a mess up line from Daffy. I'm laughing. That's actually a funny bit. And then it's back. it comes yeah. back. Like Mac Macintosh also have, it's like, oh, I heard that's the best way to go, actually. I was like, yeah, yeah, I think it is. How was, to quote her own show and whose eyes anyway, this is a running gag? This is it, guys. <laughs> this, this is a running, running gag. gag. There's no end to this running gag. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, Daffy's, you know, freezing is the best way to go. I I kind of agree with that one. <laughs> yeah. Now I got to think about what the best way to go would be. Um, <laughs> um, Jordan, what's your best way to go? Oh, God, I, I got to give a thought. Um, I hope it has nothing hmm. to do with electrical outlets. <laughs> no, no, it isn't. Um, it would probably be, you know... Heart attack after the best cheeseburger I've ever had. Wow. Okay. Yeah. A quick, quick one. I'm a foodie, so that's that's the first thing I thought. You know, I, it, it doesn't get any better than that. All right. You know, you're you've hit Nirvana. Nothing else. I think for me the best way to go would probably be just like laughing really hard, yeah. like my favorite comedy or something, and that just leads and just pushes me overboard. I'm like, mm-hmm. yep, nope, no, uh, that that's a good way to go. It's like, oh my mm-hmm. god, what happened? The weasels from Roger Rabbit way out. Exactly. Exactly. You know what? what Yes, that would be my my favorite way to go, actually. Or or you could do like the the Dick Sean thing where you you die on stage and people think it's part of the bit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
We just record the, the 500,000th episode. That's not good, old folks. And I'm Mark. <laughs> what do I do now? Well, someone's got to edit this. Yeah, all, right. <laughs> all right, fine. Uh, Merry Christmas. Anyways, um, I guess we should talk about the ending. The, uh, we need to go into detail about the Santa ex machina. Yeah, so so Sanchez comes out of nowhere. As he does. It's his MO. <laughs> the other thing, the, the, the main problem I have with, with him appearing out of nowhere is that the cartoon, the episode is already not consistent on whether or not he exists because you have this sort of deathy hallucination that we, we, we think is genuine and then it turns out he's just sitting on the lap of a polar bear. And so it's already like, okay, there probably isn't a Santa in this thing or it's probably just some mystical thing that's that's, you know, imagination or whatever. And then he comes in in actuality with actual reindeer and saves the show. I was like, well, why couldn't you be real in the, the other scene? You know, it's, it's almost like the A plot and B plot were done by different people. I just had a thought, you know, you know, what would have been better if huh. a car pulls up and the mall Santa gets out and, you know, the mall Santa walks up on stage, gives the same speech and then walks out of the stage and all the Looney Tunes follow him out. And then the car flies off. You see, there you go. That that fits more in tone with the show, actually. Yes. If we had like actual Looney Tunes fans on the ground floor of some of these projects, then maybe you know we could actually get something done. You know, we could. That, that's, we could. Yeah. That's better than what we got, honestly. But yeah, no, just, <laughs> there's this monologue that Santa has about like just the the true meaning of Christmas and how things should be, and and, and he's, he's he's sermonizing essentially, and and. For someone that's just now really appearing in actuality in the cartoon, I don't think it's really his place to sermonize, especially considering that everybody involved with the play that was supposed to unite everyone and save Christmas is currently down a trap door. And yes. it's it's like, okay, you, you've written yourself into a corner, and now you have Santa. And then, then you have Santa completely resolve the Daffy and Foghorn plot that you thought was unresolved. So it's like, all right, we have nothing. Let's just have... Santa saved the day because we can't think of anything more creative. <sighs> Lazy writing. <laughs> and and you, you hate the people that were actual like groundlings, sketch writers and people like that are doing this sort of lazier writing. But again, that's what happens when you get people that aren't really used to writing cartoons doing cartoons. Like, what did you think was going to happen? So it could have it could have been better. Build a time machine and go back and fix it. And that's what we're going to do. Next episode coming from you, coming to you from 2011. <laughs> yes. Where we go back. And that is the sole thing that we do with this uh, power of time travel. Not avert any of the other awful things that have happened in the past 12 years. No, no. Straight for the Looney Tunes show. Because <laughs> that's yes. the priority. This must be fixed. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Maybe that just solved all the other problems. Maybe yeah. that's the key to all of this. So, so what was your favorite joke in the in the entire thing, guys? The polar bears. <laughs> yeah, probably that. Or I think my favorite detail they threw into this one was the detail that Yosemite Sam, despite being under the guise of wanting an equity <laughs> paycheck, actually really enjoys show tunes. Which who can blame him? I'm here because I understand this is an equity production, as in guaranteed money. And I also love the theater. Oh, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it one further. So my my favorite joke is Sam's reaction to Santa saying "Better luck next year," <laughs> and his eyelids just like 
<laughs> yeah, they just like glare. <laughs> like, what did you expect, Yosemite Sam? You rob banks, and even in this universe, you're not exactly the most super guy. Like, are you really expecting a new Xbox or something? <laughs> I was expecting that check. I love how Lola refers to Yosemite as Bugs' neighbor. Like that's how that's how he's known <laughs> to Lola. Yeah. It's like, oh, uh, you're I'm not Bugs gonna remember neighbor. your name. Bugs is <laughs> sure. Yeah, and I also love um, that again. Rob Paulson and Jess Arnell have amazing chemistry because, of course, they do. Just the whole the whole thing with Macintosh about who gets what. Oh yeah. Like, no, actually, I think you would be. It's like Bertle and Grendel or something. It's like very similar names in the play too. Weevil and like, Beevil, I believe it was. Yeah, whatever. That's it's it, just, yeah. Take Sammy <laughs> Sam going, that's it. You're the, you're the one. Deal with it. <laughs> By the way, I also really like the, and this is the one comedy writer detail I'm actually okay with, with sort of leeching its way into this. I love the fact that, like, they have Speedy Gonzalez playing former NBA player Manu Ginobili, I believe. <laughs> I did not cast that joke at all. Would you please explain it to me? It's. Well, what really it was, and I did a little research, is that um, this was Hugh Davidson's favorite NBA player, apparently, growing up. Oh, that's and nice. he decided, you know what, with all of these Christmas characters that aren't exactly fitting of the Christmas Carol lore, let's just throw in Manu Ginobili and see if anyone notices. And let's just get the single shortest character we have to play him. I mean, that was my takeaway. It's like they cast an uh, NBA or, you know, like a small character as an NBA star who is known for, you know, being seven foot tall. Yeah. So. It's like if they cast me in the in the Vern Troyer story. You kind of, yeah. Um, yeah. That won't make sense to you because I'm sitting down. I'm six foot seven. Uh, <laughs> so. But um, <laughs> I think I knew you were tall. So it, it made sense. Oh, yeah. Maybe I mentioned it in the past. I don't know. Maybe it's in my Twitter name. Really made it his entire personality. Anyway, oh, um, twenty years into our friendship, now the barbs start coming out. Um, over a Christmas episode. Yeah, Merry uh, Christmas. Yeah. Um, if, if we're getting into final thoughts, Mark, I thought this was all right. I think that a lot of the machinations of the main A plot don't exactly fit together. There's a lot of parts of this that don't make sense. It's hinging on a. Lola drives everyone mad plot that isn't exactly one of my favorites that they do on this show. Uh, I think that there are some jokes that hit and there are some jokes that really hit. And I think the B plot supplies a lot of the extra goodwill that's missing from a lot of what goes wrong with the A plot. But it's uneven. It doesn't fit well altogether. And I don't know. I kind of wish it was a more substantial Christmas special than it was, despite the fact that it does some things well. And I'm not saying it's a complete disaster. It's just... As I, want it to be. I would say that it misses the mark and there are better Looney Tunes Christmas fair out there, such as Bah Humduck and yes. the Looney Tunes cartoons Christmas special from season two. Oh God, yes. So we go check that. those out. And if you do like this, then check out more of their Halloween stuff. Cause I actually like their Halloween episodes more than, more than yeah. this. I mean, honestly, and, and I mean, that's honestly just, I prefer Halloween specials to Christmas specials because I'm a big Halloween person. I mean, to, not to draw back the curtain, but uh, we're recording this a little closer to Halloween than to Christmas. And what? I'm already. It's I've not December 24th. I am cutting this whole thing out, Jordan. You're going to say whatever the fine. fuck you want. <laughs> I was just going to say I've been watching a lot of spooky movies and getting in the mood. So, like, uh, uh, that's more of it. 
Santa's sleigh coming up next. <laughs> this is my last episode of the podcast. I'm going to be replaced by a better looking um, co-host after the new year. Listen, so um, we have so much, dude. We have so much audio of you. I could put you into an AI generator. Jordan, you're being replaced um, by AI. It's Mark and the AI show. Because <laughs> oh, no. that's what's going to really appeal to the Looney Tunes fans. The thing that's already ruining their favorite products. <laughs> yeah. Warner 3000 uh, coming at you. <laughs> oh, God, don't remind me. All right. So my, my yes. thoughts here. Yes. Um, the A-plot in my opinion, it makes no sense because uh, Lola does have a line where she somebody says like, oh, I know this isn't the actual Christmas Carol. I just did my own thing. That's not as fun. No. Yeah, it would be a little more fun if like, wouldn't it be more entertaining if she thought this is how Christmas Carol went and no one had the heart to tell her? It's like, <laughs> oh, what happened to Scrooge? Oh, no, no, no. Your name is Carl now. You, uh, you hate, you sell balloons and you hate your job. It's like, why this isn't the thing? Just go, just go with it. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the Daffy Foghorn subplot was the best part of it, but even then, I wasn't a huge fan of Foghorn's characterization. But I will say it is more characterization than he's been given the McKimson ones. But I, I will say it is kind of funny how um, both in this and in Bugs Bunny Builders, from what I've seen of it, I've seen like two episodes of it. They both have Foghorn Leghorn as the mayor. Hmm. And that's, yes, that's, that's, that's interesting. I feel like I'm on some kind of witness stand. <laughs> it's like, yes, the litigation is correct. <laughs> I concur. Wasn't he also a mayor in, in, in um, Lunatics Unleashed as well? Or am I making that up? I that remember nothing. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No one does. I think he's, he's some like like important figure in those. I just forget exactly what because like I, we only watched two of them. No, because no, because in the one we saw, uh, Jordan, I think the Foghorn Leghorn character was like an entertainer, right? Okay. Was he like some sort of like entertainer that was watched by Rob Paulson or something like that? So I was close. So as a Looney Tunes show episode, doesn't have enough funny character interactions to be funny, in my opinion. Again, everyone just begrudgingly working with Lola. That's it. That's most of it. As a Christmas special, it's bad. Um, pulling out a freaking Santa X Machina in order to present a half-hour's holiday meeting there's little to no connection to anything we saw in the last half hour. Like what? What about like the effort of Christmas and everyone's together? It's like why that that wasn't the, the point of this at all. Um, the writer spent more time. It feels working on this bad play motif. Which, by the way, if you're gonna write a bad play motif, it has to be funny. Because if it's not, then you're just watching a bad play. Yeah, I went to school. I watched enough of this. I saw. Okay, okay, this is a bit of a uh, off tangent. Okay. In college, in college, I had to go. Uh, I was in a, a an introducting course just because it was like an easy A. I'm like, oh sure, I'll do this. And part of the class was you had to see like one play that's playing after college during the season. Yeah, and for one of them, I was assigned to see a play called The Cherry Blossoms, which is this. It's about this family that owns this cherry blossom farm or something it was so dry it was so boring that i think the first paragraph i wrote it because yeah yeah i write a paper afterwards and the first like paragraph i wrote was like 
I'm letting you know right now, I didn't enjoy this play. After this whole thing. Art like, is subjective. Like, this, was, this was boring. I, it was – and keep in mind, I, feel, I, I watch shows that are very much – you know, they're sit down. They talk a lot. But this Terry Boston thing, it just bored the shit out of me. So, uh, yeah. But at least you didn't have to have all your friends and all the Arbonne Guard stuff on campus, which is what, which is my deal. But well, that was all right. But anyway, the here's the thing that really gets to me. This in particular, yes. This um, this conclusion here of just throwing Santa in there to make you feel more Christmassy. You know what other animated Christmas special didn't feel too Christmassy, and they threw Santa there at the end just to cover their ass? The Christmas tree. Oh God, you're bringing that into it. I am. And I'm sorry. Jonathan, have you heard of the Christmas tree? I plead the fifth. <laughs> I think you're better off not knowing. Um, it's, it's genuinely yeah. the, the worst Christmas special ever made. And um, I can't believe we actually just mentioned it on this show. I'm not saying it's in quality, mind you, <laughs> but the endings seem very yeah, similar. Ending. That's all I'm saying. I see your point. I don't completely agree, but I see your point. I I actually like uh, the snowman. It's like this really weird animated. Oh, the snowman's really good. Thing with the David yeah. Bowie soundtrack. <laughs> well, anything with a David Bowie soundtrack's got to be at least somewhat worthwhile. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think it's from like God, the late seventies, early eighties. Um, my wife hates it, <laughs> but I think well, it's again art subjective. So. And Santa shows up at the end of that too randomly. It's like, all right, cool. We're more Christmassy I mean, doesn't now. Doesn't Santa show up at the end of one of the Chronicles of Narnia books? But I don't know. People like <laughs> him. He's a good character with rich lore. Um, <laughs> Mark, do you, do you have any other points you wanted to hit before we get into final Anvil ratings? I don't. Uh, I was going to go into my into the Anvil ratings right now. Okay, what Anvil rating are you giving this? I'm actually going to be relatively nice to this. I'm going to give it a three out of five. I think it actually succeeds at a lot of things, despite failing at a lot of the more Christmas specialty kind of things. Enough jokes and enough like uh, Looney Tunes show tropes, I think, do save it from being a complete bust. But it's not as good as I would have liked. I will quote Lola Bunny and say it is a flawless version of an almost unrecognizable Christmas classic. And I will give it a two out of five. Okay. Very nice. <laughs> All right, now I, I, now I split this into two Anvil ratings. Okay. Um, as a Looney Tunes show episode, I've seen better work from this crew. Well, I'm not sure about the writers. You know, I saw we, we saw Rabbit's drawing that wasn't too hot, but um, <clears throat> but I would give this as a Looney Tunes show episode Anvil rating of two out of five. Okay. As a holiday special, as a Christmas special. Is this something that will remind me of the holidays, something I want to put on every Christmas? Heck no. I'd much rather watch, like I said, Jonathan, I'd much rather watch Baham Duck or, or the Little Dude's Cartoons holiday special. Or the Freeling and Jones one we, we caught a couple of years ago as well. I'd rather watch Cats. Yeah, um, if I was scheduled to watch Cats, I would I would quit my, I would quit. Don't well, hopefully they never give us that as a commentary. The podcast reviews, oh, this, this is Cats. <laughs> that's not quite oh. all Cats. That's not quite oh, all Cats, yes. No. Uh, oh. Yes, because if there's, one, if there's one thing that anybody knows about me, it's that I constantly defend Andrew Lloyd Webber. 
<laughs> rather than shitting on him whenever I can. Um, he's done one or two good ones. I like. Uh, I think Jesus Christ Superstar. So I, I, that one's good. But most of the, most of the other ones, like anyway. Um, yeah, anyways, so as a holiday special, as a Christmas special, I would give it a one out of five bandles because it really didn't give me that Christmas spirit. However, that means combined, this episode gets a three out of five bandles. Okay, so I don't feel as bad for being the really nice one anymore. <laughs> now, wouldn't that make it a three out of ten? There are three of us. If- wouldn't that be 15? <laughs> now, math was never my strongest subject. In school, nothing, nothing. Carry the Math uh, was my worst subject in elementary school. My best subject in middle school, and then by college, it just all went out the window. <laughs> when yeah. did numbers become a part of Christmas? Um. Well, when you do the math, one BC, I believe. <laughs> you know. Oh man. One BC. Uh, Jonathan, what's like your favorite uh, Christmas or holiday memory that, that, that you that you've had? It was a blustery night, and I was sitting at my at my compost, thinking, "Why am I here?" <laughs> but a miracle on Thirty Fourth Street was on, and that made everything better. <laughs> because Whoa. that's my favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> because I saw it alone, and I had nothing better to do. Because I think it was mid July. So even, even in the mid-year, it's still the important clarification question I have on that. Do you do you are you referring to the Edmund Gwen version or the uh, Richard, At- Richard Attenborough version? Oh yeah, the Edwin Gwen version. You see, there you go. That's the correct answer. The original is um, all the way. I don't deal in remakes unless it's the thing. Ninety's one's okay, but the original. I mean, come on, <laughs> come on now. He won an Oscar for it. I mean. Middle of 34th Street is actually one of my Christmas blind spots. It's actually now one that I've uh, seen. Watch the original. I recommend it. You're talking to someone who didn't see It's a Wonderful Life until like five years ago. Okay. So. Well, it's almost Halloween. Time to pop on uh, yeah. Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> yeah. Prep early. You got like you got like two months. You know, just get the prep in now. You know. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Then watch all the Halloween movies around Christmas time. So. That'll yes. show him. <laughs> yes, indeed. You gotta watch uh, Ernest Scared Stupid and then Ernest Saves Christmas back to back. It's a must. We will we will get our Jim Varney fix in this Christmas. Or, or this, yeah. There's no bad time of year to watch an Ernest movie. And I think that it, we've been looked down upon for too many years for saying that. You know, I think yeah, now totally. it's okay to talk about how good he was. He was yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, he <laughs> was a great what character. A phys- what a physical comedy actor! And a thespian you, you love people of theater. Yeah, he really brought it. So, uh, Jonathan, uh, thank you uh, so much for coming on to talk about this interestingly tuned show episode with us today. You are quite welcome. It was a fun time. I enjoyed <laughs> this was, it. <laughs> this was wonderful. This was this is what Christmas yeah. is all about. Yeah, true spirit of Christmas lives within the audio of this episode. Find it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Where can the people find you? You can follow me on all social media platforms at This Means Podcast, as well as on YouTube and TikTok, where I am mostly trying to figure out what is happening with James Gunn's produced and David Gr- and David Green's oh, uh, or Dave Green's Wiley Coyote movie, uh, Coyote vs. Oh my where is god! It? What's happening? With it? 
<laughs> I'm going to cross my fingers and I'm going to say that by the time this episode is released, we will know what is going on with that movie. And I really hope we do because I want to go and see it and give all my money. All right, Jonathan. Now, if you want to act like you're leaving in a snow blizzard. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let me uh, just struggle to get out of here real quick. All right. Bye. Thank you for paying us a visit. <laughs> Be careful out there. Make sure you get your high beams on. <laughs> Gotta ice the ice the streets. Yeah, yeah. yeah you don't want people street. getting in trouble. Uh, Anyone got salt? John, sh- should we tell them that he doesn't have to go out in uh, blizzarding weather? Nah, he'll figure it out. Nah, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. So we have a comment here from Poitcast, uh, who has been um, very responsive to a lot of our episodes because we, we covered a lot of Animaniacs and in the Brain this year. Had some brief thoughts on a lot of these. Tiny Toons, uh, Poitcast says, it's a decent holiday special. Parody elements of Wonderful Life feel conventional, and a lot of the show builds jokes feel dated. We agree on both of those. But there are some cute stuff, too. Like Harvey the Rabbit as a nod to the epon- uh, eponymous Jimmy Stewart film, yeah. The Looney Tunes show, it was all right. The main plot of the play didn't pull me in. Most of the jokes fell flat for me. I did like the B plot mostly because of Foghorn Leghorn's enthusiasm and, and the sheer, sheer ridiculousness of his plan to save Christmas. We had some similar thoughts of just a lot of the laughs coming with Daffy and Foghorn and Porky rather than the actual A plot with Lola. And, you know, we r- got rather mad at the A plot with Lola. I mean, what's great about this Daffy and Foghorn team up is that it makes no sense. There's a two characters that the writers just kind of had fun with, which made it much more entertaining to watch than the conventional sitcom plot of, of the Bugs and Lola plot. So. Obviously, Pointcast really likes the Pinky and the Brain Christmas special. Says the humor is great, and TMS's animation is lovely. The last five minutes animated is, is something yeah. special. We agree. Major, turner point, major turning point for the characters as the mice can pull up pathos and sincerity. Does whatever Pinky the Brain episode does, which highlight their relationship and how much they care about each other. Also, Pinky giving Brain the world in the form of the keychain is perfect. In my opinion, Christmas classic. We agree. Uh, Pinky and the Brain yeah. one we really like. Um, probably our favorite of the three we covered. You know what? Yeah, uh, honestly, the other two had some flaws, but this one was really like the the Pinky and Chris one. Like I can see myself going back to. Yes. The other two, I, I, I really don't see myself going back to watching the yeah. Teen Titans or the uh, or the Tunes show one especially. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah, the Pain the Brain one definitely, it deserves the merits that it has gotten. And uh, I think because of it that the voice actors have become the best friends out of it. Like, yes, they're like legitimately best friends. And that's yeah. a great thing. Also, very briefly, um, I did ask over on Twitter, uh, what what are like favorite moments from the show that our listeners like from this year? Yeah, from this year, and we got one from Spiderus, yeah, who's from Spiderus Prime, who's been a yeah. constant commenter on our show, who says they loved the Columbo episode. Oh, good. thank you. Oh, good. Thank you. I was so worried. <laughs> and the Joe Cocker gag. Oh, you mean this? What? You know, it's nice when people actually like some of the things I throw onto this show just fooling around. Uh, so we appreciate the support for those. <laughs> God. Thank you for putting up with that. Oh, man. And we have one more comment 
from our Patreon, actually. From a patron, uh, James Irish. Yeah. Who, um, he didn't have any thoughts up about uh, the holidays uh, episodes because he hadn't watched them. But he just, he simply wishes us and everyone listening a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday Season and good tidings in the year to come. Which, thank you, James. Yes. Thank you. That's the wholesome message we really need to take into the new year. We need, we need, we just need a better go of things. I, I don't want to speak for all of y'all, but we just, we just need a brighter, happier year. And absolutely, you know, I, I hope, I hope that all of you get something that you want next year. Not just in a Christmas sense, but in just a life goal kind of sense, you know? <sighs> well, that was a lot of fun. Sorry, I'm just getting the taste of the last one out of my mouth. I, I you know apologize. What? We may have just had our friends walk out in the snow and freeze to death, but I think they had a pretty fun time. Yeah, they'll at least die with good memories. Um, exactly. Speaking of good memories, uh, we wanted to thank you guys for making this such a good year. That's not quite all, folks. It's It's been a wonderful year of doing the show. We've done, we've grown in so many ways with, with our Patreon, with our YouTube channel, uh, with our TikTok that we still have for some reason. And we've done so many really cool things. Like, like we did up number of collab episodes, some of which really intimidated us. We, we, we talked to Bob <laughs> Bergen this year. Yes. Come on. Porgy Pig knows who we are. And apparently yeah. so does the other Looney Tune people. Which, yeah. Okay. That's ah oh man, that's great. It was a it was it was so wild because it was it was us, you know, getting to talk shop with people that we've grown up listening to and projects, and you know, it was it was wild, and and I'm very proud of it. Even though just thinking about it gives me anxiety sometimes. We we did collab, we did multiple collabs with Jonathan. They all went out really well. I love that we were able to plow through June bugs and do that oh, much man. like. That much bugs content and just keep going, okay, bam, that one, bam, that one, keep them going. You know, that, that was just, we were just on a roll in that one. And that, there were a lot of really funny things in that one. Yeah, I, 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 I just loved how we were able to to knock out uh, June bugs because, like, I don't know. Because I, I really do like this idea of, like, every season of our show, there's, like, a big thing attached to it. You know, like, like oh, like, when's TV? One specials, and this one's like it's June bugs, like it's it's fucking June bugs, and we did a great yeah. job exemplifying that. Uh, regards to any yeah. favorite episodes I enjoyed this year, well, I mean, I, I I brought it up, but I love the Columbo episode. <laughs> I really yeah. do. It, it's the most. Lo- it's probably the most low key we've ever been recording an episode, but it's also it just the so most relaxed. Fun. It was so much fun. It was so loose, and we were having a great time. And we were just like the jokes we came up in that in that one. Of oh, just like just man. how what was it? The one the the one micro penis mobile. The, the uh, quick to the micro penis mobile. There was the one I made about there being no women in the kitchen or something. Yeah. Um. It was it was just just funny joke on top of funny joke and good impression on top of good impression. It was just so good. I would also throw the Bing Crosby episode in that one because it just got so unhinged by a certain point. <laughs> yeah. There were some really good ones this year that I think we're very proud of. Yeah, I uh, I especially really liked um, – I I liked our King Tweety episode. You must have said it's not for us about 50 times. No, because like, I love how like our whole thing on our show is like, 
No, we're crazy. We'll say off-the-cuff things and not care what people think. I love how before the King Tweety episode, we were very much like, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. It's not for us. Please don't hate us. And then the director reached out to us afterwards and went, no, no, this is good. This is funny. Yeah, yeah. You're, right. you're like, oh, good. Kareem seemed to be all right with this, mostly yeah. because, like, you know, like, we... <laughs> We're, we're, we're not mean about, like, bullshit things. Like, yeah. you know, trans rights are human rights. But, yeah, no, and so we don't fuck around. We don't do any of that. We don't get in her grill about, like, shit you shouldn't get into someone's grill about. And so, exactly. like, we just, like, okay, we have some, like, traditional criticisms about the film that you did a lot of fun animation on and worked really hard on. And for the most part, we think it's a success. And she's like, well, yeah, you know, I mean, you can have criticisms. It's okay. Just, you know. No, uh, no personal abuse. We didn't do any of that, and it was oh, great. Oh yeah, yeah. We we never go personal. That's that's dumb. We're a Lutu's podcast. Why the hell are we gonna go after people? I think there's voice actors that probably want me dead. I don't know. <laughs> Middle of the night, I get a call from from uh, Billy West saying, uh, "You didn't like my Porky, did you?" <laughs> oh, oh no, no. I, I was gonna go with you. Get a call from the brain, like, "So you think you could do better than us, huh?" <laughs> Also, um, I liked how we, we, we covered more Rocky Muggsy shorts this year, which is fantastic. Yes. <laughs> it's always great when we get to do those guys. Yeah, we had a, there are, this was a strong year. Like, like we were just, there were a lot of weeks where we were just rolling. I'm really happy with just how a lot of our final episodes came out. There is a lot more that we have planned for next year. Yes, there is. So just to give you some ideas, we are going to be doing some more from the Amblin folks. Uh, some shows we haven't really covered by some of the Amblin folks, some other extracurriculars that we haven't really touched upon that I've really wanted to look at for the first time. We're going to do something cool in October that's like a themed sort of uh, thing that I think yes, is going to be really cool. You I'll say this. Like. It ties into TV. You're going to like what we have cooked up for next uh, October. It's something that I think was spurned on by a conversation we had earlier this year. And we we went aside to each other and we're like, you know what? We really should do this. And so uh, we're going to do that next uh, October. And then um, we have some other movie episode plans. What I like that we're doing next year is we are doing movies that are inspired by the Looney Tunes rather than just being official Looney canon things. Yeah. Similar to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You're doing movies that could not exist without the work of some of the Looney directors. So we've got a couple of those planned for next year, one of which will have a special guest, um, <laughs> someone who I know for a fact is going to talk for hours on one of the movies that we're talking about, which he's going to have to go toe-to-toe with me because I can talk for hours on it too. One that I'm surprised he hasn't already talked hours on based yeah. on, no, on his other show that he does. I think that like... It was something that was going to happen eventually, and I'm glad we're giving him the platform to do so. But yeah, and and this is very important because the last time, last year, around this time when we were talking about some of the things we were going to cover in 2023, we mentioned we were going to cover um, Bugs Bunny Builders in 2023, and we didn't. And so I'll, I'll, I'll be frank with you guys. Um, you know, when we make our schedules, you know, sometimes things get pushed. And sometimes, you know, we have something in place and then Mark will go, you know what, I want to put this here and then something will get pushed a while. And so as an extra incentive to make sure that Mark doesn't push uh, Bugs Bunny Builders into 2025, 
<laughs> what I'm going to do is if the episode okay. hasn't come out by this time in 2024, as we're wrapping up the year okay. in 2024, I'm going to come over to Mark's place with one of the spiciest dishes from our local Chinese food place. And we're going to have it together. And he's going to suffer for our art. And this is what happens when you push things, when you make, when you break promises to the fans. Um, this is, this is the price you pay. Um, so I will get the, uh, the cumin chicken, which is a nine on the spice meter from Han Dynasty. And that'll be what happens. Okay. All right. So now you're playing with fire, man. And what we'll do, Jordan, is we'll record it and put it on the That's Not Quite All Folks Patreon. Oh, okay. Let's get segue. into this. Great. Segway. Whoa. All right. If Mark goes over five minutes during this bit, I have an electric sensor <laughs> tied to his chair. <laughs> Brevity, my boy. Brevity. I know. Okay. Because you can talk about this for ages. And I think that judging from what you've written here, that's your intention. Uh, all right. So this year is the first year we've done a Patreon for that stop cut all folks. Uh, we should like to thank our patrons who have given this year. Uh, James Irish, Samuel A.R. Adams, the person not the drink, Trice Crew, and Andrew. Thanks to their patron support, we've been able to, you know, to fancy support us. Um, what of you guys are supporting us? Um, the recording software we use, Zencaster. They messed with their free tier. Uh, we must, we're playing with a free tier program. And then all of a sudden this year, they're like, hey, screw that, pay us. So... Yeah, so your your patronage will will be helping us. Yes, kind of continue to do to help us record the show on a recording platform that we like. Uh, we can't go back exactly. to no cameras on. We just can't. It's too much fun. No, I, I like it a lot. So here's what we're going to do. The Asakura Books Patreon in 2024 will be um, a, a refurbishment. Uh, some things we've learned that are good for the Patreon. Some that aren't. So, uh, for example, uh, we're not doing live stream shows. We're done with those. Until until Mark suddenly forgets about that and Trigger happily decides we're doing another one. Coyote versus Acme. Let's go. No, no. By the way, it goes out saying, if Coyote versus Acme does indeed come out next year, we will be doing something for it. Absolutely. Not sure what it is. But rest of we will be doing something with that. Anyways, back to the Patreon. So, here is the refurbishment that we're doing. Previously, we've had three tiers. $1 tier, $3 tier, and a $5 tier. We are changing that to only two tiers. A $1 tier entitled Thank You, and a $5 tier called You Asked For It. So, here's what's coming to the $1 tier starting in January of 2024. You will get access to the first year of That's Not Good Books Patreon materials. Also, there will be 24-hour early access to episodes, exclusive videos behind the scenes, an exclusive RSS feed. You can listen to the Patreon shows wherever you get your podcasts. You also, like throughout this year, you will be getting a shout-out near the end of every episode of our show in 2024. Also, you will be getting access to 2024's You Choose commentaries one month after the $5 peer patrons have received them. So, for example, if a You Choose commentary drops on January 31st, then the commentary would come to the Thank You tier 
in February, and so on and so forth. As for the $5 All Right to Ask For It tier, everything in the Thank You tier will be included, including 48-hour early access to episodes, and exclusive and immediate access to you choose commentaries. For potential subscribers to the That's Not Quite All Folks Patreon, some of the perks that we're thinking of, of throwing in uh, in the next year. You want to see an exclusive full recording session? Not just edited, but like, you know, us just completely just diving in and just, you know, unfiltered, except if there is something I say that would get me arrested in 50 of the uh, states. That'll be like, you know, following the, the week of the release that we'll put those up on there. If we hit more than 10 patrons, we're going to start a Discord server. This is something Mark and I have wanted to do for a while because a lot of our, uh, a lot of the creatives that have inspired us have had Discord servers so people can really collaborate and talk to people, you know, it, 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 get a community going. And yeah. so, um, also, that would be a better way of doing live events for the future. So, basically, what we're trying to do is that because originally we had goals in our Patreon for more, like, you know, to hit financial tiers. Basically, we just want people to sign up for the Patreon. So we're, we're, we're doing that more along the lines of, you know, if so if however many people become patrons or if so many. Yeah, so that's at least a little bit because we want people to join our Patreon. We want you guys to be a part of the community and we want you guys to inspire us to make even better stuff. And now that that's our focus, hopefully that we'll, uh, we'll have more success on that front. But, um, but yeah, no, the Patreon will be different next year, and hopefully you guys will enjoy it. So, for, um, as we near the end of this, this little hottie special here, for next week's episode, which is slated to come out on January 1st, hey. which is which is crazy, we figured, you know, since we're, we're doing all these things for the Patreon and promoting it like crazy, do more of that. We're going to be taking something out from the Patreon vault and putting it on our main feed. So what we're releasing next week to all of you on the main feed is a commentary on... On Bugs Bunny sitting down. Yes, yes, on Bugs Bunny sitting down. Yes, so we, we recorded that a year ago. It was the first thing we released for the Patreon. And we're going to be releasing it in video form next week. So, yeah... The, that's something a little bit special. So you can follow the show on Spotify. They have a Spotify video thing for podcasts. Um, we're not going to use it that often, but, you know, considering this is like a special sort of thing, you know, I figure why not. So if you're on Spotify next week when it comes out, you can actually watch the special with us as we commentate and joke about Bugs Bunny sitting down and other miscellaneous observations. So yeah, you guys will enjoy that, I think, if you haven't seen it already. Oh yeah, and then in uh, two weeks we cover Taz. Okay, bye! Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and in two weeks, we are going back to the world of Taz, just in general. Yeah. Taz as a character. So we're going to get some more uh, shorts from that run, because there isn't that many. Because he came so late in the run that there's literally, I think, only six of him. So we're covering the second half here pretty much. So the Taz shorts we're covering in two weeks are Bedeviled Rabbit, Bill of Hair, and Dr. Devil and Mr. Hair. Yes, some very interesting ones, I would say. Yes, more Taz and Bugs hijinks going on. 
as we prep for our next movie episode that is actually on Taz Quest for Burgers. Yes, which should be interesting to say the least. Yeah, there's some interesting uh, thoughts on that. All right, so that's the end of this week's episode and the end of this season. Uh, that's not quite all, folks. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We hope to keep getting fully entertained into the new year. If you want to follow us on Twitter, which hopefully will still be around in 2024, you can follow me at MarkHalem1995. You can follow me at TallGuySchmidt. If you like you up with the podcast or give your thoughts for our next shorts episode, you can follow at that underscore loony, both on Twitter and Instagram, or type in the podcast title. We are the first result. You can also keep finding us wherever you follow and listen to podcasts. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Player FM, Amazon Music. You can also follow you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel where we still plan to do a lot of really good short form videos in the new year. And subscribe to us on TikTok again for some reason. And also keep abreast of our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash TNQAF. Alright. So until next year, I'm Mark. And I'm Jordan. And me and the hoes hope that you have a very Merry Christmas, happy holidays. And that uh, you may, and that your Chinese buffet is well stocked. Good night. Thank you.